Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Da-da. With the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and boy oh boy do we have another loaded episode for you today not only will we be taking a second and final look at the 2024 wwe royal rumble we have an absolute ton to discuss coming out of not only raw on monday night and smackdown last friday but also the wwe news cycle which has simply not stopped churning through the first 30 days of 2024. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along momentarily, but before we even get to him, I need to get to this. And that is a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Vintage, and for Getting Over. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave some five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show, just like this brand new five-star review we got from Two Sweet Louie, who says, I just came across your podcast this morning, the day after the Royal Rumble. Glad I finally found a good wrestling podcast I can actually enjoy. Five-star rating from me, guys. Keep it coming. So this guy's first ever edition of Getting Over has vintage Chris Vanini in the hosting chair, and somehow he's still stuck around. So Chris, that means you must have done a fantastic job on that instant analysis episode. And of course, I'm just giving you a hard time. We got a ton of positive reviews about the job you did. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, I know the fans and listeners certainly appreciate it as well. I will tell you though, man, it was a little strange. You know, like when someone else drives your car and you sit in the passenger seat, that's kind of what it felt like for me, uh, I guess, early Sunday morning as we did the show. That's a good analogy. Yeah. I, I could totally understand that. So, yeah, no, I appreciate the kind of words from everybody. And uh guess I'm one for one on getting a new uh, five-star review there. You are. I mean, at least as far as I'm concerned and as far as Too Sweet Louie is concerned. And Louie, what we do when someone leaves a five-star review like that for us on Apple Podcast, we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. Please also remember to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. It is also where you can vote in pre and post show polls surrounding premium live events. You can send in DMs and tweets for the show, some of which, by the way, we will be reading later today. You can follow all of that on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And really, with the month of January ending, this is your last opportunity to vote for Getting Over as 2023 Wrestling Podcast of the Year. There's a tweet pinned to the top of our profile. Just click that link, vote. If you use an incognito browser, you can probably vote a bunch. Uh, but we would love it. It's the Sports Podcast Awards. We've been nominated. We would love to win our first award. That would be fantastic. Lastly, before we get into today's show, allow me to, for one last time, remind you. I happen to love the number... Five. And I hope you do as well, because for $5 a month or 50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit 
buymeacoffee.com slash getting over sign up. You will get bonus audio, the fastest five minutes in professional wrestling, instant reactions to Raw, NXT, Dynamite, and SmackDown every single week. You also get exclusive news posts as well. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. And I made sure to mention that at the top of today's show because we have not one, not two, not three, but four brand new getting overheads that we wish to discuss right off the top of today's show. First, Judd S., who is a new annual subscriber. He said he's been listening to the pod for two and a half years now, loves the insights that the Silver King and Vintage give on the wrestling industry. Emily T., she is a new monthly subscriber. She said, I love the Getting Over podcast. I'm newer to wrestling, and this podcast has been a godsend. I love that you are all professional and thoughtful about how you you present information and if you present information. I also appreciate the dynamic between Silver King and Vintage because it keeps me engaged throughout the show and always wanting more. Keep it up. Looking forward to the new content here on Buy Me A Coffee. Emily, thank you so much for that note. Nimrol P, he is a new monthly subscriber, the only wrestling podcast I listen and look forward to, period. Keep up the excellent work. Thank you, Nimrol. And lastly, will be a new annual subscriber, Having two sports writers give the analysis adds an important spin to the information, not to mention I know going in that I'm going to get a 100% unbiased look at the product. Kudos. Kudos to you, because those are four incredible notes. So Judd, Emily, Nirmal, and Will, we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. I think that's our first four-way acknowledgement here on getting over. Chris, we have an absolute ton to discuss today. We already gave you the Royal Rumble Instant Analysis Podcast that is in the archives. Make sure you listen to that. If you have not already, of course, there is so much that we discussed. We spent plenty of time doing it Sunday morning as soon as that show went off the air. But here's what's to come today on getting over. We will have your WWE Royal Rumble second look. The Silver King finally got the opportunity to view the Royal Rumble in full on Peacock, the same feed that most of you got to see. Uh, In addition to living it, of course, live, I was attending my first major wrestling event since WrestleMania 35 of a ton of new thoughts, watching it on TV after having seen it live. We have a ton of news to discuss on today's show. None bigger, of course, than CM Punk tearing his triceps, and now missing WrestleMania. That will be our main event. Surprise, surprise, I am sure. And of course, we will cover the good, the bad, and the ugly from the entire week in WWE. So Chris, a lot to talk about on today's show. Before we get into all of it, is there anything that you felt you wanted to say uh, to the listeners, to me, um, just in general, uh, as we kick off the show? Yeah, you know, again, appreciate all the reviews and subscribers and everything. We really just love hearing any sort of feedback from everybody on, on Twitter and everything. It's been great. I got a couple of general thoughts on the Rumble, sure. but uh, I'll let mine are kind of big picture. Okay. Do we want to get into yours first or do you want to just have me hit mine? Well, why don't I start kind of going through my stuff and then you interject if they have to do with anything I said. And if not, we'll do a wrap up at the end. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'll hold mine for the end then. Okay, that's cool. And, and I also want to say, we got a lot of acknowledgements on Twitter. I mean, this is probably, you know, we're not going to give you stats like WWE, the most social event in WWE history. We're not going to do that. Uh, but we had probably more tweets and DMs and replies and retweets and likes and, and all that type of stuff uh, for the Royal Rumble than perhaps we've ever had before. And I just wanted to let everyone know, like we see that and I read all your tweets, even if I don't get the opportunity to respond. I read all your DMs. I tried to respond to everyone uh, and catch up over the last like five days 
in the last 12 hours or so. So I just want to say I appreciate the interaction. We also have an email, gettingoverpod at gmail.com if you ever want to contact us uh, directly, whether it's for advertising, whether it's to send in a question for the last word or a comment about the show, gettingoverpod at gmail.com. You can contact us there. But let's go ahead, Chris, and move right into this WWE Royal Rumble second look. As I said, I finally got to watch the broadcast on Peacock. So this is more of an in-depth second look than we normally do. We normally just kind of touch on a couple notes and then move on. But this is more of an overall review for me. And I want to start with our favorite topic on this show. Sarcasm intended when I say that. The crowd. Obviously, I was there in St. Petersburg and I was near the back of the floor. What needs to be contextualized for everyone who watched at home is that Tropicana Field is cavernous. It looked huge and packed full on camera. And don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. the 48,000 plus attendance number, it seemed 100% legit. I don't argue that whatsoever. But don't get it twisted. Tropicana Field sucks, okay? It's basically a massive convention center turned into a baseball stadium with a super high roof. And there was an entire empty back half of the outfield that you didn't see on camera. So if you look at, if you remember the WrestleMania sign, Pretty much beyond that was empty. And that wasn't like WWE didn't sell tickets. Although I'm sure if the demand was high, they probably would have sold more tickets. It was just, that's the way it needed to be set up for them to do the show the way that they did it. Basically, the venue is open and it's deep. And the sound that you heard both on TV and that I heard live dissipated due to the amount of space. This is unlike other baseball stadiums and football stadiums and arenas that WWE plays because there's things for the sound to bounce off, whether it's humans in the stands or screens or like whatever the case might be. Basically, this was one of the worst structures that WWE has done a major show in because of the acoustics. Being able to watch on TV, the crowd actually comes across far better than I expected based on the number of people who said the crowd sucked. The biggest pops were definitely louder live, but you can still see the crowd is going crazy for them. The parts where the crowd seems out of it were accurate of the feeling in the venue at the time, like the middle of the Women's Royal Rumble where a bunch Mm -hmm. of people came out and fans didn't know who they were. Yeah, it was kind of silent in there. But watching the entire Rumble, I could not really pinpoint where people thought the crowd, Chris, was notably bad because I watched it. I heard the crowd react and I saw big pops out there. So... Yeah, like even during the the championship match, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, to me, it sounded pretty dead in the arena. But watching on TV, I saw people going crazy. I think that match was received far better by people watching, or it should have been, than I received it in the arena. For me, I thought it was really boring and all that, but re-watching it, and I'll get to it in a moment, it came across way better to me on TV. Yeah, I can see how that match would have been worse in person than it was on TV. I, I think part of it was the crowd. Part of it's, again, you know, a lot of these wrestlers have theme songs that nobody knows. Yeah. And so there's not a reaction when you don't really know the music. You mentioned on the Instant Reaction Show that you couldn't necessarily see who the people were because of the way the screens were set up in mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. Uh, at the time as well. So that, that factored in. The ones that we knew were big, those got the pops, but there were just a lot fewer that didn't. This actually brings me to one of the big picture thoughts I have, and that is, do all of these stadium shows kind of look the same now? We have had a lot over the last year and a half 
of big stadium shows, not just Royal Rumbles and WrestleManias, but SummerSlams and international shows. And they're kind of, to me, they're kind of getting in that raw SmackDown sense where it's hard to tell them apart. WrestleMania, not so much. WrestleMania still looks different, I guess. But a lot of these stadium shows are now kind of falling into that same look every single time, I feel like. Um, I don't know. Did, did you get that thought at all being there and then watching it on TV? I think that's fair most of the time. But watching this one, when they took the wide angle shots and you saw like the big blank spaces on the wall, like in, in the outfield, to me, this one did have a unique look, actually. Um, maybe just because it was familiar because I've been there so many times and I was there live, obviously, for the show. I thought this one was unique, but certainly look, if you want to talk about what are the two most unique venues that are run in wrestling right now, the answer actually both are AEW. It's Wembley Stadium, which has a unique look of itself. And when they do Grand Slam at Arthur Ashe Stadium. Now, I will even say, though, I, I, I would throw Daly's place in there, too. At a small oh, area. sure. Daly's place. But yeah, right. In a totally different way. But yes, that's true. And and you know what? Madison Square Garden for WWE does have a very unique look for an arena. I will point out. Um, but yeah, no, you, you can say that for sure. Although I will say the last time AEW ran Arthur Ashe Stadium, it did not look as unique to me as it had the first time that they run it, ran it. So I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But yes, I, I I can see why you say that just because it's like people like like you get the hard cam shot and it's just like 35 rows right. of people. So how do they that's make it look thought. different? Um, but no, I, I thought it had a distinguished not not distinguished in terms of um, superior, but distinguished in terms of different uh, look because of the venue that it was in. But I want to go back to what you were talking about about the Royal Rumble matches themselves. I want to put it in perspective for everyone who's never attended one before. They are absolutely exhausting for fans, especially when you get to the main event one. You'll notice the crowd was hotter for the women than the men. That's just pure energy level. It's a long ass night. The other thing to remember is the Rumble is an entrance-based match, which makes it difficult to get consistently huge pops when you're not using legends because these days, as you just mentioned and I mentioned, on the instant analysis, like most of the mid-card women, just as an example, some of the men too, have generic indistinguishable themes. It's honestly crazy that WWE, a company that focuses so much on entertainment and high-level production, doesn't spend more effort ensuring its superstars have the best possible music to get them and the show over. On top of that, I mentioned the screens did not show the entrances. I understood that watching on TV because... If you're watching on TV and they do a wide shot, then those screens show the name of the superstar rather than showing like the entrance, which people in the arena or in the stadium need to see. What they need to do is just alternate. Like those are big round screens and the names on there four times have two names and then two videos showing the entrances. You got to help the people that are in the stadium see it because you want their responses, right? When you have that and you people can't see the entrances and the stage is not elevated, it's on the ground. That means most of the crowd doesn't even see the wrestler until they actually get into the ring. And that is not at all ideal. And then beyond that, for the women, and look, the mid-card is just starting to get booked a little bit better. But like Candice LeRae, Indy Hartwell, Ivy Nile, Alba Fire, Meechin, these are all women that hopefully by this time next year are going to get better reactions when they come out. But right now, if you don't know their entrance music, even if you like them, you're not going to react when you hear it because you're just going to say, oh, I have to look at the screen. Oh, it's Mi Chin. Okay, cool. Mi Chin's in the match. Like that's the thought process that goes through your head. The excitement is the countdown. And then if you don't deliver 
the hot entrance out of the countdown, you're not going to get a pop. That's just the way it's going to go. The other thing is that they come in 90 second intervals. And after you stand and pop and you're doing that like 15 times, you kind of just want to sit down and conserve your energy, especially when you stand and like, again, I love her, nothing against me, Chen, but like when she comes out, it's not, you're not going to pop the way you could pop for Becky Lynch, right? So it's almost a conservation of energy. You stand, you say, oh, that's great that this person's in the match. Okay, now I'm going to sit for 80 seconds and I'm going to stand again because you're going up and down, up and down 30 times. And by the way, you also want to stand for sequences during the match. And then you're not just doing that once, you're doing it twice on the show. So all of that needs to be taken into consideration when people discuss like whether a Royal Rumble crowd is good, great, bad, terrible, whatever the case might be. And some Rumbles are better than others for sure. What matters most are the surprises, including a fun few elements and the finishes. That was completely accomplished in the women's match. A little bit less so, I would say, in the men's. And I think that's why the women's match is being received better. Yeah, the the, the men's, neither of the matches really told a story throughout like we've gotten in the past mm-hmm. sometimes. You think about Brock Lesnar in 2020. You think about uh, some of the ones that have a, a, a notable person start at number one. The women had some incremental stories throughout. Jordan Grace, mm-hmm. Bianca Belair, Nia Jax, Jade Cargo. Like you kind of got those throughout. The men's really didn't because we all knew it was going to be Cody Punk. Right. And then maybe McIntyre probably toward the end. And that's what we ended up getting. So it just kind of took some longer time to get there. Neither of the rumbles were bad by any means. I thought they were like, okay, the women's a bit better. Um, the men's had a better, the men um, maybe had a more uh, good finish, uh, but, but they were fine. And, and we've seen now two years in a row with Triple H, this is kind of the pace and style he does a rumble. I'm curious if next year they try to change it up and make it a little bit different. I think we also kind of forget, just because the Royal Rumble is so important to WWE, that most Royal Rumbles are not actually great matches. They have good sequences and memorable things happen in them. But it's a very difficult scenario to book 30 people and have it be consistently entertaining for, you know, 65, 70 minutes. Let's go ahead and just go through some of these. I do have a bunch of notes for each of the matches, mostly notes for the two Rumble matches and the other ones are, are pretty quick. Uh, I'll go to the women's Rumble first. I'm just going to run through these and you kind of double back and give me any second thoughts you might have. It was really tough not to kind of choke up a bit during Naomi's return, just knowing what her last year has been like. Thrilled to see her get yeah. such a positive reaction. The hug spot with Jordan Grace was perfect. WWE really efforted to put Grace and TNA Wrestling over. That was cool. And her usage was perfect with Naomi, Ivy, Bianca Belair. Basically, I think Jordan had the best elimination of the entire match. If Ivy can be even 50% of her, she'll be a star. And we'll see if WWE calls Jordan when her contract is up in 18 months, two years, whatever that is. I would not be surprised after this showing. I don't understand why... Some people tried to downplay Jordan entering as if it was not unique. Like, sure, Mickey James did do this two years ago, but she's a WWE Hall of Famer and she was kind of owed an apology by the company. Jordan is someone mm-hmm. who's never entered a WWE ring and TNA was promoted like four times as heavily this year compared to two years ago. So people saying it's not notable. I thought it was immensely notable that she was in this it's match. Not, not, only, not only that she was in it, but she looked like a freaking star. They put her man. over. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, she and Jade Gargle, I think, were like the two biggest, like notable people to come out of that. It was like because it wasn't just, oh, there's a TNA person. They do a little bit. They're limited. No, they made her and talked about her like a star and then mentioned her again on Monday. Yeah. Crazy. 
Uh, the Bailey damage control booking I thought was really smart with Bailey first being hesitant of Asuka entering and then confident that they would help her when Kyrie Sane came in. Kyrie's spot on the ring apron was ridiculously cool, but the match suffered not having her and Asuka involved longer. One of the reasons why it was so dull in the middle is because it was just a lot of those mid-carders where if you had Asuka and Kyrie all the way until, let's say, 25, 26, 27, then you're getting much higher quality wrestling. They should have had at least 10 more minutes each in the match. I thought that was really strange. So I just wanted to point that out. Uh, the Tegan Knox Natalia spot, it got a really good reaction in the arena. And a little spoiler alert coming to Monday on Raw, I was annoyed that they didn't follow up on it because she tried to eliminate yeah. her partner and that should have been something that they addressed. There was a storyline reason for doing it, but they never told it. So that was weird. Um, why did Michael Cole go off about Valhalla's antlers? It seemed... Oh, I got the answer. Okay, I want you to I, tell me... I got me, the answer. I, so I, I mentioned this. Go I ahead. mentioned this on the Instant Reaction. I was so confused by it. I got a DM this morning okay. uh, or overnight from a Ben Porges. Okay, yeah. Long time listener. Who sent me a video. Mm -hmm. Yeah, who, who sent me a video from... Uh, uh, I think it was from Botchamania. Couple last couple of weeks, when Ivar has entered, mm -hmm. Michael Cole has said that Valhalla is strangely antlerless. Well, he actually said antlerless, and Wade Barrett both times consecutive weeks, I think, had to correct him and say, okay. "No, it's antlerless." So they kind of had a little funny thing. I didn't pay attention to Ivar's entrance, so I didn't really like notice it. So that's why this time around, he freaks out that she has the antlers. I'm sure a lot of people missed it. I missed it. But, you missed it. Okay, but uh, that you, is apparently the reason. You're explaining why he went crazy about it, but why does he care? I don't know. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, it's the most random. It, it is maybe the single most random thing that Michael Cole has ever made a big deal out of. It was it was absolutely ridiculous. Now, that said, you have Michael Cole going off about antlers and I'm watching. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Then our truth comes out. Right. And Valhalla gets eliminated in the background of the comedy bit as it's happening. I just I loved the way that was done. It's such a smart, like just scheduling uh production type of way of doing it the camera shot of the entire thing that was fun but yeah the antlers thing was really strange to me um now you guys know i was enthused for roxanne perez and tiffany stratton having tiffy do the swanton bomb and go right after becky and roxanne both nxt callbacks i thought that was awesome uh it was great to see chelsea green generate such great crowd response her acting and selling was top tier and the extended stuff with Piper Niven and Nia Jax was great. We've been praising Nia on this show for exceeding expectations in her return. And she was largely good in this match. Don't get me wrong, but she needs to improve her strength training because that failed body slam of Piper was the worst thing she's done since returning. And it was dangerous the way she dropped her like that. So I just wanted to say, but the way Nia was built up, both looking dominant through like tossing one mid Carter after another out of the ropes um, and being able to, stay in the ring and not get eliminated herself, even when like eight, nine, 10 women tried to get her out at the same time. All of that leading into the Jade Cargill debut, that was perfect. Michael Cole sold the hell out of Jade. The entrance was playing off her AEW theme, very similar. Her look was great. It was just an immense moment. And then once Nia got eliminated, the pan over to Becky Lynch, like showing her mm -hmm. shock and reaction to it, that put Jade over even more than just eliminating Nia did, because there you have the legend, you know, the forthcoming legend, Becky Lynch, who's done pretty much everything that you can do now in WWE, seeing something that shocked her. And once Jade got in and once Nia got eliminated, the entire match 
hit a third, fourth gear. And really from then on, I just thought it was perfectly booked over the duration. Yes. Yep. No, it, it was good finish. The la- Once Jade came out at 28, everything really picked up and it was hot uh, all the way up until the end. Um, and that all worked out. I, I loved at the end, the end. I didn't notice it at the time. I saw some pictures afterward of like four or five of the women mm-hmm. all sitting outside on the barricade watching Bailey celebrate. It was like Jade and Becky and Tiffany Stratton might have been one or two. Liv Morgan, uh, Naomi, Naomi Tiffany. Yeah. So like it yeah. was a, it was a cool it was just a kind of a cool shot. Uh, whoever kind of got that. So well, uh, but it was good. Good hot finish. Um, good stuff. Those were basically the perfect final seven because it was a great mix of like main yeah. eventers, upper mid carters, new people in the match. Like it just all really worked the way they did it. And I loved the double elimination sequences one after another. I wish there had been a little bit more wrestling between each of them, even if it was just 60 or 90 seconds. Instead, they all happened in a two. Like there were like six eliminations or five in a two minute window. Letting live and eliminate Jade, I thought was massive for her. And as I mentioned on the instant analysis, it was great how Bailey won using her cunning and guile sliding back into the ring. The shots of those women, like you just said, were awesome. They were all shell-shocked sitting ringside. They came so close, but weren't able to get it. And it was also cool that the crowd got their choice. They were all in with Bailey from her entrance. And Cole noting mm-hmm. that this is going to be her first singles match at WrestleMania, which is really insane if you think about it. It was a great capper to the entire match. Her slow burn face turn is going to be great to witness, and it is long overdue. Ultimately, I thought this was the best match on the show. Like, you can say the wrestling and Kevin Owens and Logan Paul was better, or maybe the star power in the World Heavyweight Championship, the, uh, sorry, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship match. Uh, you could say perhaps the star power and some of the sequences in that match were better, but this was the best match for me top to bottom on the show. I actually feel like some are underrating it, and... I heard people saying it was sloppy at the beginning. I didn't really see that. I mean, there's always a couple things in a in a rumble match that don't go perfect. The pacing was strong. The finish was perfect. It had a bevy of debuts and surprises. The only thing it was missing was extended wrestling sequences over the final stretch of the match. I'd have liked to have seen them do a triple threat with Liv, Jade, and Bailey for like three or four minutes before the elimination. That's really the only thing I would change. I gave this four stars and an A minus. So just wanted to wrap it up on that. Let's go to the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. As I said on the instant analysis, Samantha Irvin, she just hits different live. Uh, The Roman Reigns announce was awesome. The reactions to this match came across so much better on TV than they did live. From the opening bell all the way up until Solo Sokoa and the interference. I understand why fan reception was negative, mine included, on Saturday night. But suggestions that the match was not getting pops are just wrong. Like, I don't know why people said that. Everything up until the Sokoa moment was getting over. I saw the crowd. I watched them go crazy. And even the finishing sequence after Solo was dispatched, everything that happened there, people got up for that as well. I'm not sure I've ever had a more significant change in opinion, Chris, watching this live compared to watching it on TV. I liked it far, far better on rewatch. So let me just go and tell you why. Uh, I stand by all my takes from the incident analysis. So let me just make that clear. LA Knight was the easy MVP. He was the star. The concept of each challenger getting his licks on Roman, that was generally smart. The extended sequence with the BFT broken fall, Styles Clash broken fall, and RKO Trio, the draping off the ropes and then countering Reigns' spear, that was excellent up until Sokoa pulling the referee out of the ring. But even after that, the phenomenal forearm 
and triple kick out, that worked for me as well. The finish was also perfectly fine, at least in terms of the way it was executed. Looking back on it, here were the exact problems with the match other than Sokoa, which we've already discussed plenty. That triple kickout sequence was the only legitimate kickout of the entire match. And there were no falls attempted that did not involve Reigns. The entire gimmick behind a fatal four-way is that the champion can lose the title without being pinned or submitted. And yes, all of these guys had different reasons for wanting to beat Reigns directly. No question. But goal number one is not to do that. Goal number one is to win the title. Reigns should have been breaking falls and desperately saving his championship. If this was going to be the booking, Paul Heyman should have weaseled a stipulation in so that, sure, okay, all these guys can challenge Reigns, but the only way that the title can change is if he is pinned or submitted. So it was a flawed match. And I think people have been blinded by the anger over Sokoa and are now underrating it as a whole. If you pull Solo out and you just extend that finish another two minutes, you're looking probably at a four-star match. But as I said Saturday, it never really hit third gear and it did leave a lot to be desired. I just found it far more entertaining and well done rewatching it on Monday. So I'm at like a B, 3.25, 3.5 stars. We didn't really do grades on Sunday and I know that you don't necessarily always do them, but are you kind of in the same headspace for me, Chris, with this match or did you feel differently? No, just the two biggest thing that stood out to me was that it never hit that third gear. It never felt like somebody was about to win except the Randy Orton part and that had the solo Sokoa part. And so it just, that's, the ceiling for any grade on this is pretty low because of that. Like those are the two things that I remember. It was well wrestled. It was, it was, it was intense and all that, but yeah, it missed that. And to your point, like commentary made a point early on, like Roman Reigns has never been in a fatal four way match. He doesn't know he like, this is new or new territory, at least as champion, this is new territory. There are things he's going to have to figure out. One of those should have been, someone else pinning someone else like he should have broken right. up an LA Knight pin on AJ Styles or something like that like he, the story should have could have added they literally established being, that feud hit, hit, right him being desperate to hold on right was never really uh hammered home it's just that he cheated and that was it right right exactly and, and it didn't and we talked about this before the idea behind this match or part of it should have been to make Reigns look strong going into WrestleMania because he hasn't been strong. You know, he hasn't been booked strong at all since the last WrestleMania. And you can argue because he got help then, he hasn't really been booked that strong in like over a year at this point. He he hasn't won clean uh, in more than a year. In more than a year. year. At least a year. Right, which is all ridiculous. So really, there was no reason he could not have won this match clean. You can have AJ Styles take four finishers, Reigns throw LA Knight out of the ring and pin Styles and win. You don't need Solo Sokoa involved in it. You know, you don't need all these different elements. And look, Michael Hayes has produced every Reigns match, at least I believe that to be the case, since the title reign started three years ago. And Paul Levesque, sure, he approves the specifics of the creative, so I'm not putting it all on Hayes. But it feels like these matches need a new producer at this point. There's really no time left to freshen it up unless Reigns randomly wrestles on TV or they end up booking him for Elimination Chamber. But you just... Couldn't help but feel this way after the bell. It's the same thing over and over and over. It's like missionary position every single night. (laughs) In the tribal chief, the head of the table, 
We're not interested in that. No, no. Fans aren't interested in that. And more than anything, I just think they're tired of this reign at this point. When you only defend the title twice in 10 months, those matches need to be incredible. The Jey Uso one was a massive disappointment. This one under-delivered given the potential with the talent in the ring. That's truly the issue, along with the fact that Sokoa has done the same thing over and over, like Roman's last six title defenses. Like, how many times is it going to be exactly the same? So, yeah, that's why this under-delivered. But I do think people are discrediting some of the work that was done in the match. I did find many of the wrestling sequences to be extremely well done. And the crowd popped Mm way bigger than people gave it credit for. I don't know what people were saying. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, you you have a comparison. I only have what we got on TV. It, it was like LA Knight, I think, got the biggest reaction he did. Uh, among everybody. I mean, kind of his, his offense kind of leans into that type of stuff. He, he more than held his own. He looked great. And as uh, in a ring with probably three other Hall of Famers, he stood out. He yeah. held his own. He was protected by not taking the finish. Uh, and I think that sets up something big for him at WrestleMania. I don't have much more on the United States Championship match, but I did crunch some numbers, Chris. Jeff was ringside for 75 seconds with security choosing not to get him the fuck out of there, even though he's a fan who jumped the railing and could be a danger to the performers. Then Pat McAfee was fucking excruciating during this. He said, Jeff or that's Jeff, 11 times in those 75 seconds, while admitting he's never even met the guy before. Who gives a shit about Jeff? It really was like mind-numbingly dumb for it to go on that long and for McAfee to call it that way. I just, I was watching this, I'm like, wow, it's a really good match, even better than I remembered. Then that sequence happened, I'm like, what the hell is this shit? And again, it wasn't just the fact that he was ringside, it was the way Pat acted and called it. Well, I, I'm not mad at Jeff for it taking so long because I imagine the plan was he comes out. Until he sees the wrestlers. And whoever, wh- yeah. whoever makes the call for Austin Theory and Grayson Waller to come down, like their cue. I, I don't know if it was dragged out on purpose or if they were just late getting them out there, but uh, that was that's what he was waiting for. And it took a while for the main point of it to actually happen. Yeah, that's fine. But I mean, 75 seconds. And then even when they started running down, he should have already been out of there. It just it just didn't work. They, they had to do that a lot. But they should have had them running down before Jeff jumped the barricade if they were going to do it that way. But forget about that. The dusty finish came off just as well on TV as it did watching live, maybe even better. The match itself was also really well wrestled, got some huge reactions, not only down the stretch into the finish, but throughout the entire thing. I mean, 3.75 stars B plus for the United States Championship. And then the Men's Royal Rumble. Yeah, I kind of have a lot here. Um, Jay and Jimmy starting was perfect. It never really had relevance, though, once the ring started filling. Like, it should have been a deal where they kept encountering each other, maybe even temporarily teaming up for 30 seconds to eliminate one person. Them starting was never utilized to its fullest extent in other parts of the match. Andrade probably should have gotten some pyro or something like to enhance his entrance. He looked great. I prefer his white pants from AEW. It's funny that he goes to shiny pants every time he's in WWE, almost as that like it's sports entertainment. So he has to be shinier. Uh, He also probably should have coordinated better with Santos Escobar because they legitimately looked like teammates, like they had matching gear on. I thought that was strange. And Mm -hmm. I should note his name is Andrade, not 
El Idolo, even though that's the way his uh, theme starts. He's just going to be Andrade on the main roster in WWE. And there was a really funny moment. I bet you most people missed. As Andrade was hitting Jimmy with a Meteora, Jimmy was panicked trying to call a timeout while sitting in the corner like you would do if you steal a basketball and people are trying to get around you. He's like trying to call timeout and he just eats a meteor right to the face. thought that was cool. I loved that Carmelo Hayes got a strong reaction. Uh, Cody's crossroads elimination of Shinsuke Nakamura was a strong spot. I didn't even see that live. The match was largely going fine until they hit 22. That was McAfee. This is what happened in succession. Poor McAfee comedy. Commentary focused on Pat instead of Braun Breaker eliminating Omas which should have been a huge moment. Mm -hmm. J.D. McDonough wasting another spot in the match at 23, and then Breaker being eliminated by Dominic Mysterio, which wasn't even made to be a big deal. So both eliminations, which should have gotten pops, were overlooked by commentary and fans because of McAfee and McDonough. That's just extremely poor planning and pacing. Luckily, the R-Truth John Cena hot tag spot immediately got the crowd back. But these people should not have been in the match. I'm talking about... McAfee and McDonough over someone like Montez Ford or Chad Gable who or Dragon Lee who could have drawn a huge reaction. Instead, you have McAfee and McDonough and McAfee was truly wasted spot. And I'll let you get in and see if you have anything else. But Jordan Blaney at jblaney21, he wrote him. He's one of the people who said you did a great job on the show. He said, except you didn't mention the R-Truth Cena hot tag spot. So he criticized you on that. Yes, I did. He said you didn't. I totally did. Okay, well, then he's wrong. Jordan, you're wrong, but Chris did a great job posting anyway. Uh, That's what he wrote. No, yeah, that was was an awesome spot. I I specifically remember saying Royal Rumble hot tag because it was a funny thing to write down. Um, You're right, though. That was a bit of a mess of a couple of minutes there. McAfee, I watched that part back. To his credit, he did sell the kind of, oh, shit, Mm -hmm. really well. You know, that that was some good facial work and and whatnot. but yeah, it was a weird couple of things. And then, yeah, we miss Braun eliminating Omas and Dominic eliminating uh, Braun pretty much, which which were two big things, especially because I know there were some dirt sheet reports. You know, I had theorized at the time that Braun Baker, Breaker got the um, Brock Lesnar spot mm-hmm. in terms of what he did, the Spears, the stare down with Gunder, Gun- Gunther, the eliminations. Apparently, there were reports out there that Brock Dominic was in the works and Dominic was going to eliminate Brock. So that would further that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought Braun looked good, but you're right. The the biggest moments at the end, he, they kind of missed it because this whole thing got, uh, got weird. But yes, our truth comes in, gets everybody right back with a really good hot tag segment. Uh, I'll keep going here. A couple more. Uh, Ricochet had no business coming in at 28. This is a guy where if you're putting him in the match, he should be there at like 12 to do a ton yeah. of spots Huge reactions. I mean, he's a great wrestler. You should be using your great wrestlers there. I know that he was kind of a return, but to put him among the final three, not smart. And they didn't even sell him coming back as like, we haven't seen Ricochet in three months. It's great to have him back. They didn't even do that. He's popular. He's not that popular where he should be 28. Again, you put him at 12, he goes on a run, much more entertaining in the match. Uh, The Drew McIntyre elimination hit way better on TV. I did not know he was talking shit to Punk first. The storytelling aspect of him being his own worst enemy enhanced it. And then having seen that, what happened on Raw, which we'll talk about later, made even more sense because McIntyre and Punk were going at each other. Uh, Gunther going to the final three. That was the right call. Cody eliminating him was as well. As I've said many times before, 
Gunther should ultimately be the person to defeat Cody once he ultimately becomes WWE champion. It makes way too much sense. Those eliminations also can play directly into their feud because obviously Cody eliminated Gunther last year as well. I saw criticism that Punk was exhausted, blowed up, whatever term you want to use. Maybe he was a bit. He was also selling his ass off. The pedigree was fun and, quote, I didn't wait 10 years to lose to Dusty's kid. That was another storytelling element I didn't get live. It was him setting himself up to become a heel for the Rollins feud. So Cody immediately eliminating him after that was perfect. And it was just cool that Punk kind of put Cody over in that way in his first match back. That was cool. So the men's match paled in comparison to the women's match for four primary reasons. One, fewer surprises. Two, fewer notable sequences during the meat of the match. Three, stars not spread out well. Too many of them came late. They needed to interject them at different parts of the match. And then four, a finish that focused more on storytelling. That was kind of saved for the post-match, the highlight moment with Cody pointing to the sign and then to Roman. The back and forth by production, that was great. Paul Heyman shoving the title into Reigns' hands, almost saying, show them what you're about. You need to make them remember that you're the champion. Roman looking frustrated earlier in the match, seeing Cody go so far and avoid elimination. Uh, Cole, Michael Cole, also punctuated the whole thing at the end nicely. What inning are we in again, Roman? Like as Royal Rumble went off the air, it all made for a fantastic moment. It also made Cody winning the Rumble worth not pushing his number one contendership out to Elimination Chamber. The desperation everyone is gonna have for Reigns to lose, it's only going to make Rhodes that much bigger of a babyface. But I do think the reasons I outlined already were why this match did not hit as well for many people. Despite that, I also think people are underrating it. So I was at 3.5 stars and a B for the Men's Royal Rumble. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I thought it was fine. There wasn't anything bad in it. Um, Cody winning was expected. We got a good final four. It was an extended sequence. It was fine. You know, not not the most memorable rumble, not a ton of memorable moments in there like we got with the women. So it was fine. Two more uh, tidbits here or notes, I guess, and then we will move on. I was going to include this in our news post that I did Sunday on buy me a coffee slash getting over, but I was told that one reason there were not legends in the Royal Rumble matches is that WWE is trying to move away from their reliance on old stars, which you'll remember was a criticism of fans for a long time. They Mm -hmm. want to focus now on spot appearances from like John Cena, CM Punk, Trish Stratus, and they want to do that knowing that coming soon, the likes of Randy Orton, and Rey Mysterio, there are other older active stars who are going to move into eventually that legend role. And I guess what was explained to me is they'd rather have some of the younger people and some of the other mid-carders in there than just plucking out like Ron Simmons or X-Pac or whoever. I don't know that I totally agree with that logic. I think one legend per match would have been great, but my understanding is that it was purposeful. So I just wanted to share that with everyone. And then to wrap this all up, people are still stuck on hating the WrestleMania sign point at the end of these Royal Rumble matches. What should the wrestlers do? Like, what should they do? Win the match and treat it like it's any other match, stand there, smile, and then leave? These are two of WWE's biggest matches of the year. They directly impact the company's biggest show. The sign point is part of the entire pageantry 
of the Royal Rumble and the road to WrestleMania. Is it cliche? Sure. So are football championship trophy ceremonies on the field. So is cutting down the nets in the final four. It's so strange that people hold on to this as corny when it's just part of the show. You get pyro, the fans love it. Did you see the picture of Bailey where all the fans were pointing with her to the sign? That was awesome. So I don't know. I don't understand. I think people just try to find things to criticize. I love the WrestleMania sign point. They should never get rid of it. And that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, no, what? Who gets annoyed by it? You, you want to say they do it too much? I don't know. Fine, maybe. But no, it's it's one of the coolest things that they do. Yeah, like it's ridiculous. Like it, it, it's iconic at this point. You get great shots. It's every you can do it at your you can pretend to do it at home. Kids do it like it's great. Yeah, I don't I don't know anybody who would be upset about that. Yeah, people my, are people are, dude. Trust me. I wouldn't have mentioned it. My only it. my only other thing on, on the rumble. Um, sure. I thought the, the theme uh, sucked. Yeah, terrible. I, I did not care for it. Um, it lacked any intensity and i think they announced that the weekend is doing the wrestlemania song mm-hmm. for like the eighth straight year or something year. yeah it's like the fifth year in a row Ugh. yeah um i don't like it i i and, and what we got the commercials for vengeance day and i love that theme way more for a show than what we're getting for royal rumble uh, presumably for wrestlemania it's just they make it so poppy and exciting and mm-hmm. welcoming and like party super bowlish type of stuff and i just save that for SummerSlam. like biggest party of the summer was kind of the whole thing for that i don't know like i get it it's 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 the biggest show you're welcoming everybody you wanted to just but i just i want some more intensity uh in a lot of these themes and we've seen it for a while with nxt and we don't get it for this and i just wanted to note that uh, i didn't care for this theme. no i you are totally right i hate every time i heard it i was like oh this thing sucks and it's the black keys i think i don't know what song it is yeah um but who, yeah. who are great i just don't like it as a wrestling theme me neither uh, the, uh maybe you have this off the top of your head maybe you don't my favorite pay-per-view theme of all time is SummerSlam 1998 highway to hell oh it's a classic yeah it's a classic do you I, have one i, I, I no. think about um vengeance 2002 uh down company uh the triple threat austin undertaker rock that's mm-hmm. uh one of my favorite uh vignettes of all time and that was the theme to the uh, to the show that was the theme to the show as well i believe so gotcha all right well that wraps up our 2024 wwe royal rumble second look i know we spent a little bit more time on it than usual but i got to watch the show uh, you know on peacock after seeing it live and there was a lot that you miss when you're at these shows live like i said chris Previously, when we when you attend and we do an instant analysis, I have no idea how you get so much um, from it just watching live. But uh, yeah, for me, I needed to do that second look. So I hopefully everyone enjoyed it. And we have plenty of show left. I promise you. In fact, we have the main event. We have the good, the bad and the ugly. But I'm afraid I've got some news. And there's a lot of news for us to discuss. First, Kevin Patrick was fired by WWE last week. Michael Cole opened SmackDown on Friday saying for, quote, one night only, he is pairing with Corey Graves on the show. Seems to insinuate that a new play-by-play person will be in the chair this coming Friday, and we did learn about that on Tuesday, but we're going to come back to that real quick on Kevin Patrick. This is immensely unfortunate, okay? You and I and thousands of other people, I'm sure, thought he was doing a terrible job SmackDown play-by-play, but... As I said, every single time I criticized him in that role, he was a good backstage interviewer and he did a really solid job on the kickoff panels. So my guess is this is one of those situations where like someone gets a raise or promotion, they're being paid so much that 
if they don't succeed in that role, it does not make sense to keep them on in a lower role or a lesser role. Um, and I'm assuming that's why they completely parted ways with him. But I hate, I mean, I wanted him off SmackDown. I absolutely hate that he got fired. That sucks. I, I certainly wish him well in the rest of his career. And he does a great job with the Atlanta uh, MLS team doing play-by-play for them. So if you're a soccer fan, you can still hear, hear him over there. Yeah, I think we talked about it Friday as well. Um, yeah, he, he was really good in a lot of roles, just didn't work with play-by-play. So uh, unfortunate they continue to shake things up and try to make it work. Did we, did we want to talk about McAfee too? I oh, guess, we're, well? yeah, that's just, that's, that's just kicking off the news segment. We got an absolute yeah. ton to discuss here. So nothing has been announced for SmackDown yet, but we will go back to that in a moment. Raw on Monday, as Chris just alluded to, opened with Pat McAfee joining Michael Cole as the new color commentator on Monday nights. Now, this obviously makes more sense in the offseason without football, but it's going to be difficult for him doing radio shows Monday and Tuesday. I believe he does them in Indianapolis. Now, he used to do SmackDown with no show on Saturday, meaning no radio show. Then he left SmackDown when he got the ESPN College game day gig because he would have had to have gone from SmackDown on Friday nights and traveled perhaps across the country for a live show Saturday morning. Now, maybe he can make this work in a private jet to go back and forth to Indianapolis you know, overnight, but that's a lot doing it 52 weeks a year for WWE. And then what happens when the NFL comes back? He, sure, his show schedule will be the same, but I have to believe the Monday episodes of the Pat McAfee show are huge ones because of the NFL. You're responding to everything that happened over the weekend. There's Monday Night Football, you know, every single week that you're previewing. So I don't watch his show outside of when he does certain interviews that I tune in for. But I mean, they made it sound like he's permanent, permanent. Like this is the role he's going to have going forward. I find that hard to believe, though, Chris. I don't uh, I don't think he'll do it all year because come fall, he's got college game day again, mm-hmm. uh, which all indications are that he'll continue with that. But that's and on Saturday. The reason he left. Right. But the re- it, it, it's a lot, though. I mean, it's part of the reason he left before. I, I he's I don't know what his travel is going to be. Is he going to be going to Indianapolis Monday morning for his show, flying out to Raw for Monday night, then back to Indianapolis the next day? I've actually got a show on right now. He is back in studio doing that. So that's what I'm saying. I think if you add another. If, if if I think if you're adding because he would do well, the other thing is in the fall, he would do the Pat McAfee show from the college game day site on Fridays. Right. Uh, as well this past year. So that's just that's a lot of travel. Right. I, think about it. He's he's doing his show on site Friday. Then he's doing college game day early Saturday. You presume he goes home after that unless the game's on site. Maybe he stays for the game Sunday. He's watching he football all day. day. Right. He's watching yeah. the NFL all day, assuming that the NFL or sorry, ESPN doesn't have him do something special with Monday Night Football or there's not a college football playoff national championship or something else like that. Next year, we know there's going to be more Monday games, most likely due to the expanded playoff. And then he goes back to Indianapolis, has his show Monday afternoon, flies out, does raw Monday night, flies back maybe at you know midnight, returns to Indianapolis and then. Here we are, we're talking, you know, we're, you know, we're taping right now at 1 p.m. Eastern. I don't know what time his show starts, but you have to assume he at least has to be ready by 10. So he's turning around inside of 10 hours and doing another right. show. I don't know how he's doing that in the NFL offseason. I sure as hell don't know how he's going to do it in the college football and NFL in season. Right, right. Especially because Monday is such a big NFL recap right. show for him. So, so aside from how long, however he does it, I don't, we'll see. I actually, 
I really like him as a WWE commentator. I think it's the thing I like him at the most. Yes, like, it's I don't the really best thing he does. Care for, I don't really care for his daily show. Like he's, I think he's decent on College Game Day. I think he's the best at WWE commentating, and it's because he's having fun. And I'm always drawn to commentators who are having fun. Gus Johnson's, Dick Vitale's, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it and it comes through. And and I'm not comparing him to Bobby the Brain Heenan, but his style is very much the same in that Bobby the Brain Heenan was not, and Jerry Lawler too, like they were not breaking down moves and explaining right. kind of how wrestling works. They were they were just reacting in the moment to things that popped in their head and they'd throw off witty lines here and there. And McAfee does that and it works in, in him. I Look, I loved Wade Barrett and Cole. I, w- I would have no problem continuing them moving forward. I think they're great. I also think McAfee and Cole are great. And Cole has so much fun with McAfee. I actually thought the Royal Rumble commentary was a bit off because it was three of them and trying to work each other in. And they started to try to kind of pop each other sometimes with some of the things they were saying. They kind of got off track a little bit. But if it's just Cole and McAfee, which it appears to be again, I think that's a really good pairing. And I think it's great for WWE that they've uh, got him back, regardless of whatever you think of Pat McAfee, because everybody's got opinions, I know. So I agree and disagree with you regarding McAfee. We sang his praises for a while on SmackDown, And he does add something to WWE commentary. Don't get me wrong. But am I crazy to say that just like for me, Wade Barrett, and I do want to compare them. I know you really didn't want to, but I think Wade Barrett was better in the role because he treated it more seriously. Like really what McAfee adds is his common man element, the celebrity element. And I was a fan and you were a fan and maybe are still are of what he did with Cole initially on SmackDown. It revitalized Michael Cole. But it's almost like he was the girlfriend that gets you off the horse. And then like Wade Barrett is the girl that you actually marry. You know what I mean? Like like, like you, you have a bad breakup, you meet McAfee, and he gets you going right again. He tells you what he makes helps you figure out what you really want. And then Wade Barrett comes in, and that's the wife. Like that's the the pairing for me that hit well. Um, did each of their jobs exactly the way they were supposed to be done. I'm not saying that having McAfee on TV is a bad thing at all. It's just that sometimes to me, he almost seems like a caricature of a caricature that he was playing before. Does that make sense? Yeah, and and I think, you know, he hasn't done this in a year and a half. It might take a little bit to him, for him to get back in the flow, but, you know, that Thunderdome era and then coming out of it, before he, I guess, you know, before he was on ESPN and game day and, and doing a lot of things, uh, I thought he was really good. Again, it was one of the more high profile things that he was doing at the time. Now he's added a lot more things. So I'm curious if that changes what he is moving forward again with so many different things on his plate. Um, but, you know, he's been with WWE since 2018, going back to the NXT, you know, pre-show days and doing some stuff there in 2020 in the Thunderdome. So like, He's he's got a good feel for a lot of it. And he'll say things that I think a lot of people just wander off the top of their head and then Cole will have to like explain it. And I think it's helpful. Like <laughs> like you mentioned uh Zia Lee coming out with the swords and then dropping them and just like he, he's good at kind of a lot of that off the cuff stuff. Sometimes he you're right, sometimes he gets too caricature-y, uh, but 
I personally like it. I can understand why other people don't. I think it's hard to compare him in weight just because they're very different they at it. Yeah. They were both really, really good. Yeah, they are. And also, Wade has proven he can work well with pretty much anyone. I mean, his pairing with Vic Joseph in NXT was the best commentary that NXT has had since Mauro Ranallo was there. And I actually do prefer him, you know, with Michael Cole, even over um, Pat McAfee. So it hurts a little to see that pair get split up. My initial thought and hope hearing this news was that Vic Joseph might get the call up to SmackDown and he would team with Wade again and they'd rekindle that relationship. However, Chris, PW Insider is reporting that Corey Graves is going to move into a play-by-play role with Barrett returning to SmackDown and doing color commentary. And I gotta say, it makes perfect sense to try that out. Graves was handling a good amount of the play-by-play stuff that Patrick really struggled to do. And you obviously can't have Pat McAfee with Corey Graves. That pairing would not have worked. So Cole and McAfee, Graves and Barrett, I like that. I think it's the best double commentary pairings for Raw and SmackDown that those shows have had in a long ass time. So I'm curious what Friday's gonna sound like, what it's gonna look like. And I gotta say, my hopes are high. I think it's gonna work. Yeah, and I think Corey Graves has done play-by-play in the past. I think they've tried this out before, uh, at least periodically, if I just off the top of my head remember. So I am curious how it will go. I do like that they're continuing, presumably here, two-man boots. Mm -hmm. I think that just works a lot better. I'm surprised they didn't call up Vic Joseph, but you've got Corey Graves and Wade Barrett who are very, very, very good color people. So we'll see. I don't know. I I guess it would have been interesting to try Vic Joseph comes up and Corey Graves is the heel commentator and Wade Barrett's the face commentator. I I don't know. So I'm curious. We'll see. We've had a lot of change at this spot over the last couple of years. Good and bad. But remember last week we were talking about, or you asked me, hey, does this mean, you know, with the Netflix deal and all that, that Raw is the A show now? And and it's always it's always been, what was the term that you used? Um, Not the signature show, but the... Flagship. The flagship show. And then you're like, but for a while, SmackDown was the A show. Well, guess what? Uh, they just signed a $5 billion deal with Netflix. And Michael Cole is your play-by-play man. Uh, Raw yeah. is not only the A sh- the flagship show still, it is now the A show. It has been the A show for yeah. well, and pretty much last year. Sm- SmackDown on Fox had Cole and McAfee and that right. was the A show at the time. Right. So, so now it's back. There you go. All set. You know, I love Vic Joseph in NXT. He does a great job. I just wonder why they keep him there. If they're slow playing it, if they think he's going to be the Michael Cole replacement and they don't want to make that move until Cole like actually retires or moves on, or if they don't have a person for NXT and therefore they're keeping Vic there until that happens. But you could go Vic Joseph, Wade Barrett and Corey Graves on Friday nights as a trio. And I'd be okay with that. And look, Vic Joseph and Booker T, they work great together in NXT. I love it. It's super entertaining what they do. But it's just like Vic got that taste of Raw and maybe he wasn't ready for it a couple of years ago and he moved on pretty quick, but he's ready for it now. I'm, I promise anyone listening, he is ready for, I guess, SmackDown it would be uh, now. And I hope he gets an opportunity on the main roster sooner than later. Let's move off of the commentary news to injury news. Kevin Owens worked the Royal Rumble with a fractured foot, according to the Wrestling Observer. That is vague uh, in terms of an injury descriptor, and it can mean a lot of things. You can fracture your foot in myriad ways. But if KO was able to work that match, it stands to reason he's going to be fine with some rest for WrestleMania. Most foot fractures heal in three to six weeks. 
even though they can be sore for a lot longer. I just wanted to mention that off the top. Uh, John Cena, who turns 47 in late April, told E! last week that he will retire from WWE in-ring competition by age 50. So if he takes it up until the line, it's possible WrestleMania 42 will be his retirement match. So let's say, Chris, he has five singles matches left in WWE, and you can only book him against people on the active roster. Who are those five people and who is the retirement match? I'll go first because I'm kind of just springing this on you. It'll give you some time to think. So number one, Randy Orton. I think you have to do that match one more time. Or maybe you have them tagged together as part of this, but you gotta do something with Cena and Orton once more. Gunther, absolute no-brainer to put him over. Drew McIntyre, I think would be great. And then as a retirement match, there's the Boston connection with Carmelo Hayes, or you just put over a young, hot, up-and-coming guy like Braun Breaker. So those would be my five uh, potential matches. Or I guess that's four, uh, but let's say Hayes and Breaker. So that would be five. Um, yeah, mostly the same. I mean, Randy, Cody. Oh, Cody would be amazing. Yeah, CM Punk, if, if you can. Um, Gunther. I don't know about the last one. I, I'm trying to think of like a young up and comer who would kind of fit that spot. I guess Braun Breaker's that guy. You could redo um, the Austin Theory match, but I don't think anyone really wants that again. Absolutely not. <laughs> we are not going back to that. We are not. Dominic? On Austin Theory Dominic right Mysterio? Eh, that'd be fun, kind of. Didn't we already do that, I think? Did they? Yeah. Maybe they did. Yeah. I think I would... I would retire him either against, I couldn't pick one. I think Randy, Cody, or Punk because Cody's the star. Randy and CM Punk were two of his greatest rivalries. I kind of would rather him go out on a rivalry type of thing, maybe a double retirement with Randy and mm-hmm. CM Punk or something like that, and just kind of really lean into the history because, like, CM Punk and, and, and John Cena were like the polar opposite guys like forever. And that was like, that's what like defined them. Like CM Punk was defined by his rivalry with John Cena, but the two absolutely respected the hell out of each other too. Um, And so I I think that'd be fun. I don't, I'm kind of pulled away from, Oh, just give it to some young guy who gets the win and on, onward you go, you know, like AJ Styles had the last undertaker match and AJ Styles was already like, 40 at the time or something like that. So like, you don't well, take her also beat him. Taker didn't put him over either. So it's different. We're talking about putting someone over, you know? Yeah. And I, and I don't think John Cena needs to lose either. I think John Cena winning his last match would make a lot of sense too. So fair enough. Let's move to Hollywood news. Uh, the iron claw received zero nominations for the Oscars. And I saw people like raising a stink about this. I kind of think that's right. It was a good film. I don't think it was exceptional. And really the only person, the only actor who I thought deserved a nomination was Holt McCallany, who played uh, Fritz von Erich, the, the father. That was it. I don't think that this was incorrect by any means. I wasn't sure if I wasn't sure at the time if it was even eligible because the deadline to get stuff in is November 15th. Mm-hmm. But you can submit stuff before the movie comes out. And I think that's what happened. That is what happened. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, look, I, there's a million awards 
you know, cinematography and editing, all these other things that I have no idea how to judge. I will say I'm surprised it got nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised maybe any of the actors didn't win for anything, but um, it was still really good. We reviewed it a couple weeks ago. Highly, highly recommend you go see it if you have not yet. You don't need the Oscars to tell you uh, if it is or isn't good, but it is right. interesting coming out of the wrestler a number of years ago and the accolades that that got mm-hmm. that Iron Claw uh, did not. Seth Rollins has reportedly been removed from the new Captain America Brave New World film, which is no longer featuring the Serpent Society characters. This is all new stuff to me, so please give me a break. Uh, but this comes after Becky Lynch was taken out of Eternals a couple of years ago. She filmed a part for that movie as well. Bad luck in that household when it comes to Marvel, but this is not unusual. When it comes to comic book films, it happens all the time. They tape a bunch of different, I don't want to call them angles, but storylines or um, using involvement of different characters. Sometimes they make it, sometimes they don't. Uh, But yeah, Rollins apparently cut from the film just like Becky was a few years ago. Uh, I know it's been a huge dream of Becky to be in a Marvel movie. I don't know if it is for Seth as well, but just super unfortunate for both of them. I didn't know that about Becky for some reason, surprisingly, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know this about Seth until you said it right here. Uh, so that's unfortunate for both. I was looking forward to it. That said, Marvel is uh, not in a great place, at least relative to where it was. It is not. There have been a lot of misses pretty much since Endgame. Only a couple things have really hit. I just watched the Marvels recently. Just so incredibly average. So um, <laughs> curious the new direction for that movie and how it goes. I'm trying to think what I actually have liked since Endgame. Loki, definitely. Um, yeah. I love Shang-Chi. I think that was. The oh, best yeah. Movie Shang-Chi was good. Endgame. Yeah. Shang-Chi yeah. was the best movie. No question. I didn't mind Black Widow. I just it wasn't that special. I thought it was fun. Right. I like Florence Pugh. So, fine. so she her being in that was probably made it better than it probably was. But yeah, that, that's pretty much. Oh, you know what? I don't mind. I didn't mind that. Uh, like the Christmas show. I'm forgetting the character. The Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. Well, no, that was good, but I'm talking oh, about Hawkeye. 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 The Hawkeye show. The Hawkeye show. That was pretty solid, too, I thought. Yeah, it was, it was fine. But yeah, yeah, Marvel not killing it right now. And I have not seen Echo yet, so I can't even comment on that. So uh, and lastly, before we get out of this segment, Triple H, we are we discussed plenty about <laughs> that uh, press conference after the Royal Rumble. You can listen to all of that on the Royal Rumble instant analysis episode. But Paul Levesque also made this statement as part of that um, entire media briefing. He said, quote, I'm not going to use all the cliche terms about what door people go through or anything like that. It's just stupid and silly. He was referring to Jordan Grace of TNA Wrestling appearing in WWE. I saw folks reacting to this on social media as if it was some major insult or something. I saw people calling him petty. (laughs) What? Okay, let's assume, let's just make the assumption that Paul Levesque meant this as a shot. Now, I was sitting there And I assumed he was referring to the term and not anyone in particular. But let's make believe it was indeed a poke at Tony Khan, the guy who literally called him and Shawn Michaels bald assholes a couple months ago and then publicly shit on his booking by naming Jinder Mahal in a tweet. And that's fine with people. But Triple H can't allude to him in a mundane fashion, mentioning Forbidden Door without even saying the term, without being torn apart by it. I got to tell you, the IWC is tiresome as fuck sometimes. And this is after Hiroshi Tanahashi, who, by the way, is the New Japan president now, said a few years ago that the term was stupid 
and silly. So I saw people overreacting to this. I realized we didn't mention it. I got two DMs asking what I thought about the reaction to it. So that is my reaction to the reaction. The reaction, just like whatever Triple H said, it's stupid and silly and everyone needs to grow up. Yeah, I didn't care. I I, I don't care that Triple H dismissed the term. I think it's fine that AEW hypes up the term. Yeah, uh, I, I totally. Think the Forbidden Door shows been a lot of fun and it's a cool concept. I like the portals and all this stuff. Like, it's fine. Whatever. I don't care. There were a lot of other things that Triple H said in that press conference <laughs> that were far more important exactly. and questionable than the Forbidden Door line. Completely agree with you. Okay, that was a extended intro into the show. Probably the longest one that we've ever done. We've covered the Royal Rumble second look, as well as the top news items in and around WWE, which means, Chris, it is officially time that we slide into the main event. This is the main event. And this main event is unique because it actually combines real life news with the major storyline Monday night on the Raw after the Royal Rumble. Let's start with the news aspect. CM Punk suffered a torn triceps in the Royal Rumble match. He will officially miss WrestleMania 40, a show in which he was expected to main event night one against Seth Rollins. So taking a future shock DDT from Drew McIntyre on Saturday, Punk landed awkwardly on his elbow and favored it the rest of the match. An MRI Sunday revealed that he tore his triceps for the second time in the last few years. At age 45, you can bet doctors will suggest Punk retire from his in-ring career. The wrestlers obviously defy that advice all the time, and it seems pretty clear that he's going to. I don't want to jump ahead too much. Regardless, Chris, it was clear Punk and Rollins were going to main event night one of WrestleMania, only for both guys to suffer significant injuries inside of a 12-day span. Talk about your shit luck. Now, Rollins on ESPN's DC and RC show said he hopes to be back wrestling in one month because he doesn't want the WrestleMania match to be his first in-ring action coming back from the injury. I don't see that being logical, especially now with Punk injured. They have to be safe, but Elimination Chamber is in four weeks, so that's just worth remembering. Now, you can hearken back to the John Moxley comments about Punk having a fragile body, but a lot of what's happened to him, it's just unlucky in that regard. Like, there's not much else to say about it other than that it sucks. For Punk and for Rollins, both of whom were set to main event a WrestleMania night for the first time. Really, Chris, the conversation for me is not about Punk, but what will happen with Rollins and the World Heavyweight Championship. But before we get to that convo, and I do want to have it, do you have any specific thoughts on Punk's injury itself? Just that it sucks um, for him, for Seth, for everybody. Um, I think back to the John Moxley promo in AW about fragile mind, fragile body, um, which has turned out to be pretty dang true. This is <laughs> what two or three serious injuries for Punk three. in the last like two or three. Or, yeah, like that's the kind of thing. It's the kind of thing that makes you question if they will try this again. Okay, it is we we we've seen before guys who have been injury prone relegated very quickly we saw it with finn balor we saw it with dolph ziggler now that was under vince and vince is no longer in charge so things can obviously change but uh i i kept thinking of that and man it, it sucked i just kept thinking about how much it sucked and then we got well, we got on monday which we can uh, get into as well i'm glad you noted the vince thing because that's a different time like there's been i've seen a lot of people and this is a variety of topics say oh yeah well this person may have been booked well in nxt but what happened when they got called up to the main roster it was like 
that that's not relevant anymore because Vince McMahon's not booking the main roster, you know, so it doesn't really yeah. matter. So I'm glad you mentioned that. All I'll add, well, another, like, go ahead. Another, one other thing with CM Punk, just kind of fragile body or whatever. Like, part of me would think, like, look, he went what eight, nine years without wrestling, mm-hmm. where he wasn't taking bumps. That bump card is not as uh, stacked up as you think it normally would, but he has wrestled for a very, very long time. We know the physical situation he was in when he left WWE last time, and now he's 45 years old, and your body just starts breaking down at that point, point. and it is the kind of thing where we've had so many of these, well, some of them being just so weird, you know, like jumping into the crowd right. at AEW being one of them, and it's just like, it's the kind of thing where it makes it, it could be hard to trust if it's worth doing it again going forward. Oh, I think these are largely freak injuries. And don't forget, this happened with Edge. Edge came back to WWE. He had the big moment, mm-hmm. got injured to the point that he made another Royal Rumble return the year after he made the Royal Rumble return, right? And, and Cody Rhodes, and Cody's not old like they are. I think he's only like 38 or something like that. But Cody Rhodes came into WWE, had a big match, and a couple months later tore his, uh, his uh, pectoral. And then he was out and had to come back during the Royal while Rumble. Working so, out. Yeah, while, while just working out. So, like, I kind of feel like with Punk, a lot of it is just bad luck. But, you know, two tricep tears in a, in a short period of time, certainly not great. No matter what, I don't think they're going to like move on from him in terms of not having him back or not putting him in a big program, but him being a champion, don't think that's going to happen, nor should it happen. And we said that when he first signed initially, and I do think they'll probably limit his matches and they'll just say, look, you're going to do two, three, four matches a year and that's it. We don't need you wrestling house shows. We don't need you doing this, this and this. You're going to be a special attraction. That's exactly what he should be. And it sucks because CM Punk came back and like, so many people on the majority of the roster was not there the last time he was there. And mm-hmm. you're just like, man, you're thinking all the different, not dream matches, but just new matches that you could get out of this. And we're just, we're not going to get them now. And we may never get them uh, moving yeah. forward. Cause all, he's probably going to be like you said, special attraction even more so than he already was. All I'm going to add is that WWE has to be so happy. They had Cody and not punk scheduled to win the Royal rumble it really yeah. could have gone either way. Like both of them would have worked as winners, but with it being Cody, now so many different avenues are possible to create a world heavyweight title match where if it was Punk winning, man, that just would have, your your Royal Rumble winner's it's done. Great. And now Cody has to get a shot and now someone else has to get a shot and you just have a lot of work to do. So let's, Chris. I, I picked, I picked, and I picked Cody because I said the uncertainty around Seth's injury may make it, you know, risky to pick that. It turned out to be risky to pick Paul yeah. just in a way I didn't expect. Yeah, exactly. So let's go ahead and move on to the options, either individually or in a combination. The way I see it in terms of forthcoming opponents for Seth Rollins at WrestleMania uh, 40 are Drew McIntyre, Gunther, and Sami Zayn. And you also have the Damian Priest element of the Money in the Bank briefcase. That's unless WWE moves to someone like an AJ Styles or a Randy Orton. They take them from SmackDown, put them on Raw because they think they can build a bigger match. Now, Gunther was penciled in with Brock Lesnar. I think we've alluded to that on the podcast before. WWE could simply do the WrestleMania six booking of title versus title, but the results could be different. So the choices, if they do that, would include Gunther beating Rollins, and then relinquishing the Intercontinental title and remaining undefeated. Meaning, whoever beats him first still gets over in a major way as the first piece person to beat Gunther. The problem with no. extrapolating that Absolutely booking, not. Absolutely let not. Me, let me, um, you're right in the <laughs> middle of me explaining why that doesn't work. Uh, is money in the bank would either have to be a failed cash-in 
or Gunther would lose that title in disappointing fashion, either in a triple threat or due to injury. It also, and I didn't like when WWE did it back in the day at WrestleMania six, it makes the secondary title look secondary, the Intercontinental Championship. Mm-hmm. Gunther has elevated that to such a strong degree that you don't want him to say, well, I want the world title and then forget this one. In fact, when Keith Lee did that in NXT, he was the North American champion. He won the main title. He let go of the North American title, said, hey, people should be able to compete for this. Well, he was a babyface doing it. Gunther's a heel, and he also has a record long title reign. So for me, that doesn't really work. Um, the other option is that you have Priest cash in WrestleMania 31 style. He would pin Rollins and take the world heavyweight title. Gunther would still be intercontinental champion who has yet to be pinned or submitted on the main roster. So those are the two different ways you can do it with Gunther. However, the way I lean is either Rollins McIntyre, Rollins Zane, or Rollins McIntyre Zane as a triple threat. It's tough to get to a triple threat because you gotta believe they're gonna use the elimination chamber for this in some way or another. The other problem is Rollins has already fought and defended the title successfully against both of them. Now this could of course have been avoided if Rollins dropped the title to McIntyre in late 2023, like both of us Mm -hmm. wanted, then we'd have Drew taking the title into WrestleMania against Sammy, who could win the elimination chamber. And you could have Rollins just figure out another match that he would fight, someone else that he would fight. It would be tough to put McIntyre in a WrestleMania world title match if he is not re-signing or if he has not re-signed yet. But they did do it with Daniel Bryan just a few years ago. Of course, he left, and that was problematic. If he's in the match and Sammy beats him in a triple threat, that could be a huge moment for Zayn. It could also send off McIntyre while protecting Rollins. Personally, I would go, Chris, with Gunther fighting someone else, Chad Gable, Sheamus, whomever. And I'd go with any other one of those options with McIntyre, Zane, or both of them for Rollins. There is absolutely no way Gunther is relinquishing the Intercontinental title. You are not ending the longest Intercontinental reign of all time with a guy just giving it up. You just you do not do that. Someone has to beat him for that title, and it matters. That's mm-hmm. the entire point of all of this. It'd be a complete waste of a year to have done that. I think it has to be for Rollins. It has to be McIntyre. It has to be. He is on fire. No, Sam. He's doing some of the best work. He, whoa, 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 whoa! Hold on. Go ahead. Good. He is. Do, he is doing some of the best work he's ever done. Mm-hmm. He is as hot as he's ever been as a heel. And he's got a great story, which they didn't follow through on multiple times, but it's still a great story. You're just going to have to work the story to get back there because, yeah, he has lost to Rollins. He's going to have to earn it back. So he is absolutely has to be in there. He's the one that injured Punk. We'll get into what happened on Raw, but what happened on Raw only furthered my belief in that. Sammy is tough because he's lost to McIntyre several times already. (laughs) And McIntyre made that point. So you could get if McIntyre is staying McIntyre wins the title if he's not staying you do the triple threat you have Sami Zayn win those are I think the only two options and those are the ways I would go with it for me it's a triple threat either way it makes way too much sense you have the Zayn McIntyre feud I wouldn't be surprised if they were scheduled to fight each other well, oh, on I'm that sorry. show the, the reason I wouldn't is because if, if McIntyre is staying, McIntyre beats Rollins and then his first feud is with Sammy. 
You could do that. You could do that anyway. That's true. You could have McIntyre pin Sammy after Sammy takes a stomp. Rollins gets a, a rematch at the next show. Then Sammy gets a one-on-one match with Drew for the title at the show after that. You could easily work that. I mean, I assume Seth may take time off. I mean, he should. He certainly should. But we say that all the time about people, right? John Moxley, when he dropped the title, oh, Mox is going to take four months off. He was there the next night and has has never taken a vacation since. Like Seth is the same type of workhorse person, but he should. And I think with Becky uh, Lynch doing her book tour coming up and then WrestleMania, I wouldn't be surprised if after her tour, after Rollins drops the title, if he drops the title at WrestleMania, if they did take some time off, that would make sense. And I hope they get it because they both deserve it. A lot is on the table here. No matter which option they choose, though, Chris, as far as I'm concerned, WWE should revert back to Rhea Ripley and Becky Lynch as the night one main event. It's going to be the second biggest match on the entire card without question, and it would be an absolute banger to close out the first night. What do you think? Completely agree. Becky alludes to that on Monday, which we'll get to, but the door is open. It's easy. Like Becky Rhea is so obviously your night one main event. Now Mm -hmm. I'd be stunned if they do anything else. Good. Okay. I'm glad you agree with me on that. All right. So let's move to the kayfabe of it all. CM Punk addressing his status on Raw Monday night. So Punk opened the show frustrated with himself for not winning, but congratulating Rhodes for earning his spot at WrestleMania. He said he doesn't believe in luck, yet feels unlucky having torn his triceps with yet another year passing where he doesn't get to fulfill his dream. Punk got choked up and teary-eyed, talking about his problems being minimal compared to one of his friends who has cancer. He said while he calls himself the best in the world, he loses more than he wins. Just look at his UFC career, which got a really good chuckle out of me and the fans as well. That was a good line. Uh, Punk said it was scary returning to WWE, which he never actually wanted to leave in the first place. And while main eventing mania may haunt him the rest of his life, it won't stop his passion. He said best in the world is people fighting cancer, people who help other people, and people who make a difference, not just people who win. Punk promised he would keep entertaining fans until the wheels fall off, calling it a bump in the road and adversity that he will overcome like he has so many times in the past. Quote, I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. This is not the first time and it won't be the last time I say this. There's always next year. For some reason, I thought this guy was a White Sox fan, but okay, he's a Cubs fan. I don't know how I thought he was a White Sox fan. Maybe just because he's a miserable person, but (laughs) nevertheless, I'll continue. I guess Cubs fans can be miserable people as well. Uh, Punk was still running hot when Drew McIntyre, interrupted, pissing him off. McIntyre said that he's said terrible things about Punk and still believes that Punk is a terrible person who has poisoned the locker room in the past. Drew said he's never been a spiritual person, but he prayed for this and it happened. But I want you to know this. I prayed for this and it happened. He talked about targeting and assaulting Punk in the Rumble And while he couldn't sleep Saturday after losing that match, he slept like a baby Sunday after learning of the injury. Punk won the battle by eliminating him, but McIntyre won the war with the injury. Drew promised to fight for the world title in main event mania, living Punk's dream again. Punk promised to go right after McIntyre when he comes back before he starts on his road to WrestleMania 41. Drew tried to swing. Punk ducked it, got a couple shots in, but McIntyre got him down and then stomped the triceps with Sammy Zayn saving while Punk screamed. Well, we got a shit ton to unpack here, okay? Punk started off with a promo of the year contender. Using that real emotion to drive himself was real captivating. And going full babyface, turning best in the world 
into like a catchphrase that you can use to inspire people. WWE is going to sell a million shirts and build a hundred video packages on that during Punk's road to recovery. As great as Punk was on the mic, it's fair to argue McIntyre was even better. Simply put, this is the most compelling that Drew has been in his entire WWE career. The prayer line was incredible. It sent the crowd. I got multiple text messages of, hey, first time I've watched Raw since Monday Night Football. That line was incredible. I laughed my ass off. (laughs) It was so good that the crowd, which was not good, they were chanting what while CM Punk is talking about his friend with cancer and his triceps injuries. That line was so good, it got the fans to stop chanting what long enough to hear it. We finally got the 100% undoubted heel turn for McIntyre, solidified with his words, punctuated by the stomp. Punk getting physical at all in his state was him wanting to put over Drew. And it worked because it really sold that this guy is now a total piece of shit. And then, just as we spoke about earlier, and just as we've spoken about over the last few months, Zayn makes the save, rekindling his feud with the man who took him out. This was an excellent opening segment. It was one of WWE's best opening segments in a long ass time. Extremely strong creative to pivot off of Punk and give him an immediate feud upon his return. Of course, McIntyre's gonna have to be in WWE at that point, but I hardly question that anymore. Given the way he's being booked, given the way this storyline is going, and given what he said and what Punk said in this segment, I have to believe he has already re-signed, or at least they have some type of agreement in principle for him to re-sign. Yeah, I don't think you're not only giving Drew McIntyre all this shine, but giving him essentially a Punk feud on his way out and credit for injuring Punk if if you're not going to pay that off. Right. So... Again, that's why I'd be surprised if he doesn't come back, but you never know with these things. It's crazy, man. Like a week ago, we got CM Punk, Cody Rhodes, and we're like, man, might be promo segment of the year. <laughs> now we got this. This might be promo segment of the year. Just incredible, incredible stuff. Punk's was great. I want to nitpick about a couple of things. One, first one was not his fault. You kind of mentioned it. The crowd was like talking over him. And not necessarily, not just the what stuff, but like, it just sounded like chattering, mm-hmm. like when when they like when they would do a Thunderdome promo backstage or whatever, and you could hear the chattering over the music. Like with Punk, with what he was saying, I wanted dead silence, and I was kind of surprised we didn't get that. I and by the way, it was not pumped in audio; it was legit what the crowd was doing. Let's make that clear. Yeah, I, like I don't know if it was just the mics in the crowd were too high, or the crowd was just loud. I, I don't know, but it was weird because it was hard to connect with it at the beginning when he was making really, really good points. Like he says, it's a goal that might haunt me for the rest of my life. Um, and you're like, you want to feel that, and you couldn't quite get there. The other thing was that he very quickly jumped to don't feel sorry for me. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, no, I want to feel sorry for you, dude. Like, like like you can get to that but he's like this sucks i'm never gonna get it uh this terrible thing happened but don't feel sorry for me don't feel sorry for me because this and this and that. Well, well give it a like let it breathe for a minute let me feel bad for you then give me the don't feel bad for you and get into everything else he did which was tremendous tremendous mm-hmm. stuff i mean like him tearing up his friend and everything just really really emotional stuff and you really did feel for him but he was just several times gave you the the don't feel sorry for me very quickly um, when I want to feel sorry for him. But he closed it great. You're fired up. You can't wait for him to come back. McIntyre stuff's great. And now you're thinking like, 
he's got to get that WrestleMania main event now, right? Like you talk about finishing the story, like they very much made that part of his story. To the point of what I said before was, can you trust him in that spot again? I think the benefit of two night manias is that you can do your big, you can do your big other thing for the second night. The, the first night gives you the opportunity to do the CM Punk thing. And if it doesn't work, if he's hurt again, if it's not working, you can pull out and throw something else in that will surely be just as good, just like Rhea Becky, we think, this year. that The, the two-night mania opens the door for CM Punk to get his WrestleMania main event without WWE risking too much by booking him into it. So I think it all works out. Who the hell knows what's going to happen in a year, but they've really set the tone for, shoot, I can't wait for WrestleMania 41 to see if CM Punk gets there. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's how you lean into that type of stuff. The way that AEW never did, like, I understand why they didn't, but you didn't lean into brawl out in these things. Like, when someone's hurt, when someone's going away, when something happens, like, you got to turn that, you got to spin that into making money somehow. And that's what they did with the CM Punk injury here. Yeah, they did it for Drew. They also did it, like you said, for for Punk coming up in the future. There's just so many ways they can go with it. And we talked about it last week, maybe, or two weeks ago. No, last week, coming out of the Cody Rhodes CM Punk segment on Raw. That's a ready-made WrestleMania 41, probably night one main event, Cody and Punk. I mean, that it's there. It's done. Now, you yeah. can do so many interesting things. You can have McIntyre take the title off Rollins, go on a run, drop the title. Punk comes back, is able to overcome McIntyre finally. Uh, maybe Cody goes after the World Heavyweight Championship after he does drop the WWE title, or you just have a total non-title match between the both of them. But that's your that's your match. It's it's ready-made for you. Punk can get it. You know, he's the appropriate opponent. Uh, oh, and by the way, even if it's not Cody, you can go back to Seth Rollins. He actually has two opponents now because they never actually gave us that climax of that feud, which obviously was supposed to happen this year. So Punk doesn't have one. He has two WrestleMania opponents, and he has a third major opponent to face in McIntyre, at a SummerSlam or a Survivor Series or whatever match they decide to do that. So this guy, like you're wondering, hey, is it going to come back? What are they going to do with him? He's got three matches that he now needs to do over the next 12 to 18 months. And I think he's going to be able to do them. I mean, let's hope, obviously, if he comes back healthy. So let's move to what the main event of Raw was. That was Zayn against McIntyre. The save uh, led to a match booking by Adam Pearce that they put in the main event. Sammy backstage pointed out that Drew blames everyone for his shortcomings but himself. He's going to give him a reality check. That's facts, obviously. McIntyre in gorilla position pointed out that for all his talk, Zayn has never beaten him. Also facts. Sammy hit a sunset flip powerbomb off the ropes. Drew went on a run with a sit-down powerbomb, leading to a late kickout. As the referee like slowed down the match, he said something to both guys. I wasn't sure if Sammy got hurt or something, but it was just a weird moment. Uh, Zayn couldn't lift McIntyre, ate a Glasgow kiss, but came back with a superplex. Sammy countered Claymore into the Blue Thunderbomb, but McIntyre came back with avalanche white noise. Drew talked shit to Sammy, just like he did Punk at the Royal Rumble. Zayn beat him. McIntyre hit a second Glasgow kiss. Sammy then chased Drew around the ring for a huluva kick, but McIntyre blocked it by falling to his knees and covering his face with his arms. That directly led to an inadvertent low blow, with Drew realizing what happened, and capitalizing with a Claymore for the win. Then he forced the referee to delay raising his arm until he was standing over Zayn's body. What an inventive finish and a fun end to a terrific match. WWE delivered not one, not two, 
but three bangers on this Raw, and this was the third of them. There were a couple clunky spots that I believe came probably due to caution over potential injury, but all in all, they continued to work extremely well together. McIntyre absolutely had to win coming out of that Punk segment, and Zayn has a clean, excused loss given the accidental low blow. It was kind of perfectly booked now that I think about it. Four stars, A-, minus, exceptional main event of Raw. Yep, it, it was great. You know these two guys are going to be great. I only think I would have made the low blow purposeful, mm-hmm. you know, just continue to lean into him being a heel. I mean, maybe that would have been too predictable, but uh, he, he already told CM Punk he prayed for him to get injured. <laughs> I don't think a low blow is anything worse. So, uh, uh, yeah, but no, it was good. I liked it. Sammy, like you said, Sammy's uh, got a safe loss either way, and it continues the storyline moving forward. I, I, It's been the case for months now, Drew McIntyre is doing the most interesting stuff on WWE television. He is the guy I can't wait to see every Monday night. And that's just, it's going to continue. Yeah, he's been absolutely crushing it. We had the discussion just a moment ago about the potential options for Rollins challenger at WrestleMania. While we still have more to talk about with Rollins coming up at the start of the next segment, the storyline we got Monday on Raw with Punk and obviously McIntyre and Zayn it told me that WWE is likely headed for a triple threat, Rollins, McIntyre, and Zayn. There are plenty of ways to get there, and it would also, Chris, continue the history of round number WrestleManias having triple threats. We had Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Chris Benoit at 20. We had Randy Orton, Batista, and Daniel Bryan at 30. And now we could get Rollins, McIntyre, and Zayn at 40. It just makes all the sense in the world to me. Yeah, I mean, we, we just talked about it a minute ago. It, it makes all the sense. I love the way you you kind of said it quickly, but everyone's jumping on the I prayed for this and it happened line by McIntyre. But just as just as devious as when he says, I'm going to live CM Punk's dream again. <laughs> like, yeah. man, really driving that home. Uh, just really, really good stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I, I think I think uh, I think that although obviously neither of us pick that to be the main event of WrestleMania night one. So maybe he might actually no, but not, but that's going to yes. be my prediction of the match though. Yeah. 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 So my, I, my, I think my two predictions, my two predictions are Rollins, McIntyre, Zane for the world heavyweight championship. And then that the main event match will be Ripley and Lynch. Yeah. I think the way Monday played out, you're kind of keeping the Sammy stuff around. It, it would make sense. Maybe, maybe they haven't made a final decision on it. It's possible. It's happened. Yeah. But either way, McIntyre or Rollins will be there and you can throw Sammy and it would make sense. Yeah, I do agree with that completely. All right, that was the main event and we are deep into this show, but we still have an absolute ton to discuss. Everything else that happened across Raw and SmackDown over the last week and we're going to do it in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Jordan. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right, now this normally would have been a co-main event most weeks, but it didn't fit in that segment. So Cody Rhodes opened hour two of Raw with a huge You Deserve It chant, of course, as the 2024 Royal Rumble winner. He stopped his promo short and asked Samantha Irvin to do his announce a second time, and he ran around the ring and she crushed it like usual. Awesome for her to get her flowers there. Cody said WWE can be an escape for fans, but it's also an escape for the superstars sometimes. He said the last 48 hours of his life have been hell, and though everything is fine, 
He got choked up and nearly cried while saying the fans being there to support him got him through all of it. Just as Cody was about to make his WrestleMania 40 challenge of Roman Reigns official, Seth Rollins entered and surprised. Rollins agreed with fans that Rhodes deserved the win. He said, while they have their issues, they've also developed a mutual respect. They shook hands. Seth turned it then, saying that Cody choosing to fight Roman would be a mistake and they should fight instead. Fans chanted, no. Rollins said Rhodes called himself the guy during the press conference, but he's not the guy and neither is Reigns because Rollins is the guy and the World Heavyweight Championship is the title in WWE. Seth said the landscape has changed since last year. And while Cody has been focused on Roman, they've been making towns together with Rollins main eventing because Reigns wasn't around. Rollins reminded that his title exists because the fans were tired of Reigns showing up every other week, then every other month, then every six months, then not defending the title, then cheating during every title defense. Talk to him, Seth. That's what we're talking about right there, man. Uh, Rollins said defending the title as a workhorse, fighting through injuries has elevated it to the point that no one needs Reigns or his title at all. Then he posed the question, does Cody want the Hollywood title, the Hulk Hogan title, the title for posers and frauds and people who politic their way to the top, or the Dusty Rhodes title, the workhorse title, the blue collar title? Seth said they both know which Dusty would choose to fight for, but this is about Cody's heart and what kind of man he wants to be because it'll be the biggest decision Rhodes makes in his entire life. Cody said he had a lot of respect for Seth and didn't expect that he would need to take a beat on this, but he will actually think about it. And then Rollins smirked. This was brilliant. I tweeted during Punk's segment that it was the promo of the year frontrunner. Here comes Rollins an hour later besting it. This wasn't about emotion. It was about logic. And it was somewhat selfless, but mostly selfish by Seth, who wants to main event WrestleMania himself, even if it you know doesn't play out that way. The best part of it was that Rollins delivered an almost inarguable point, which he said in every possible way, except the most direct, which I'm gonna say. His title represents everything the WWE title used to represent. And he is everything the WWE champion is supposed to be. In doing that, becoming that, and saying as much here, it felt as if Rollins was literally elevating the World Heavyweight Championship with each passing sentence. Again, There's no arguing what he actually said, the content of his promo. And taking those shots at Reigns, it's always nice to hear because they're all balls on accurate. You know that. Look, we all know Cody's going to choose Roman. But the fact that Seth was so compelling on the mic that he made it a question for Cody in kayfabe while giving viewers reasons to think that it would actually make sense for Rhodes to choose Rollins, even after an entire year of build back to this moment, It just goes to show how expert of a job he did here. It also pushed out the obvious decision and it created a couple weeks of drama. And on top of all of that, Rhodes can choose Reigns and he can point that the reason he's choosing him is not only to win the WWE title for his dad, but to restore it to its former glory that Reigns has ruined because the WWE title deserves to be the top title in the sport. He can say every single thing that Rollins said was true. And because of that, I'm going after the WWE championship because it's not being treated and respected the way it should be. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Paul Heyman tells Cody on Friday, hey, go choose Seth. That makes sense because you know Roman's not going to be there. And he's like, hey, man, you already beat him three times. Why don't you go beat him a fourth time? You're guaranteed to win the title. If you challenge Reigns, you know the result is going to be exactly the same. This is perfect. 
It was the best and most serious that Rollins has been on the mic in quite some time and an absolute, no doubt, good. Absolute good. I think you pretty much just spoiled the entire way it's going to play out. With the, with I hope Cody, so. Maybe. Cody's explanation and, and why he's going to go for the WWE title. But this was, look, I, when I first heard it, when it started, I rolled my eyes because I was like, guys, he already pointed at Roman Reigns. Right, like, me we, too. We know he's going to do we know he's going to do Roman Reigns. And in real life, we know he's going to do Roman Reigns. And look, the CM Punk thing got sprung on them. They had to come up with something. But as it played out, I kayfabe bought into it more and more. Rollins basically calling it the FUBU title. <laughs> when he said it's for us, by us. Um, but the line that really jumped out was basically calling the WWE Championship the Hogan title and his championship the Dusty Rhodes title. That is how you connect to Cody Rhodes, pull on his heartstrings, do all these types of things. For a minute, I was thinking, man, they're really running down Roman and the WWE title and really shitting on their main title, something that I don't think would ever have happened under Vince. But it came back around to be like, no, this is the most important title. This is why we do uh, all these kinds of things. And if it was the original big gold belt instead of mm -hmm. the one with the big old WWE logo on it, I buy it a little bit more than I do. Um, but you're right. Cody said in that first promo after WrestleMania 2022, when he said the WWE championship is the one his father never got. That's mm -hmm. the one he wants to get. That's the one he eventually will get. So I'm and by the end when Cody just said, I'll think about it. That's a great way to sell next week, man. It's a great way to sell SmackDown. It's a great oh, way yeah. to sell just kind of the next little bit. Just always thinking about that. And it also made me think about the did you I don't know if you watched the pre-show, but Paul Heyman's promo on the pre-show where he talked about I don't know exactly what the line was, but it was something like this is the biggest thing in WWE. There's another belt that they just like created out of thin air, essentially, mm -hmm. is what he was saying. And so now it comes back to South Rollins defending that championship in the, in the right. importance of it. So it all worked great. It all came back around together. Definite good. He ain't picking Seth, hmm. but they gave you a good they gave me a good enough reason to, like, accept it in storyline. Absolutely. And that's all you ever asked for. And again, it was it gave Cody just enough reason to think about it. Right. Like his yes. mind has been set for a year. He wants that rematch. We all know he pointed to Reigns as soon as they showed off the air. Rollins gave him just enough to say, you know what? I'll at least think about it. I'll consider the points that you're making. And look. Apparently, this Rollins promo and this angle on Monday got a mixed reaction with some people. They suggested he made the title look worse, came across like he was begging. I don't know how you watch that segment and feel that way. It seems to me like some people have wanted to view the World Heavyweight Championship negatively since the moment it was introduced, and they just refuse to change their opinion about it. Like, when you think a player is not going to be good in the NFL draft and they become a multi-time pro bowler, but you keep criticizing them because you just want to be right— Rollins has done a great job elevating that championship into something that matters. And this segment was nothing but facts. Everything he said about Reigns was a fact. Everything he said about himself and the title was a fact. This guy has put on incredible matches. He's defended the title, you know, 10 times more than Reigns has this year, just on television. And yeah, okay, have some of the feuds gone on a little bit long? Yes, doesn't mean the matches weren't good. Doesn't mean that he hasn't elevated himself and the championship by having those matches. 
He's been fantastic. And Justin Downs at Banana Pancakes, uh, two N's, obviously, uh, no E, I think, in the pancakes part. He said, I think we need to take a moment to simply bask in the absolute beauty that is the mic work that is being done on this show, meaning Raw, uh, Monday night. I personally think that out of everything that Triple H has accomplished in his time with the book, allowing wrestlers to be people is the most important. Today is exactly the definition of this. You have the talent that are delivering God to your promos one after another, real people showing real emotions, dropping nothing but facts. Credit is deserved to Hunter for giving the freedom to the talent and even bigger credit for the damn wrestlers that they're all on top of their games here. I mean, you got to agree with that. McIntyre is the most real that he's ever been. Uh, Rollins here, now, you know, Rollins has been in character for most of this run. Let's be fair. We've been criticizing how ridiculous his character. He was real here. CM Punk was real in his promo. And we've seen numerous other people be able to come out and either be themselves or be closer versions of themselves. But yeah, in terms of like this Raw on Monday, usually, Chris, we start these shows and we're like, Raw was great. SmackDown wasn't. Here's why. And we do that. We didn't really get a chance to do it. Raw was an exceptional episode of wrestling television on Monday. There are three matches that were absolute bangers, as I mentioned, and three promos or three portions of promo segments that you could make an argument are going to be up for promo of the year. That is real difficult to accomplish. And they did that Monday night. I have always said and believed that Mike work is 50%, if not more, of the formula to be successful in professional wrestling. Absolutely. It's not, you, you can do the moves, you can do whatever. Like So much of wrestling debate now is work rate and was the match good, yada, yada, yada. What matters more than anything is the promo ability. Storytelling. I've been to these WWE. Yeah. It's the storytelling. That's the, it's why we watch wrestling. I've been to these WWE tryouts. And yes, they have the, the college athletes go through drills and rolls and all kinds of stuff to see what they can do physically. But they spend almost just as much time in promo classes and segments where they have to speak in front of a camera because these things matter because these things are the things that sell the tickets, that get you watched the next week, that get you really excited to see. I can't wait what happens next week when I see these guys face-to-face. That's what professional wrestling is about. That's why we've gotten several of these just in the past month. Mm -hmm. Punk, McIntyre, Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins, like so many of these. And if you're going to make it pro wrestling, if you're going to make it to the top, if you're going to be somebody people care about, it's because you connect with them on a human level. And that comes through the promos. That's why it matters in pro wrestling. And it's one of the reasons I always talk about Becky Lynch being the best women's wrestler in the world, not just now, potentially ever. It's because is she the best women's wrestler in ring? No, she's probably not the best in the company. And certainly Sasha Banks just head to head in terms of the four horsewomen. People could say she's better, but Becky's really damn good in the ring and she's unmatched on the mic. And, and that separates her from everyone else. This is just an example of that. Justin, I'm glad you noted that. Chris, I'm glad we had this discussion. And of course, spent so much time on the Rollins and Road segment, which just was exceptional. It was a great way to open hour two after we got Punk and McIntyre opening hour one. Real quick, did you agree with my general sentiment there that this was a fantastic Raw? Uh, yes. Yes, it was. There were some ups and downs and some spots that felt like nothing. But like Vince Russo actually had a tweet during the show, which was oh my God, how much go. he loved writing the Raw after pay-per-views because it always felt like a brand new ah, slate that he okay. didn't feel like this was. And I didn't think McIntyre Zane was like the biggest, best main event, but it was a story that they told and they got there. And it was uh, 
it was a, a very good show once again. It felt to me like they were very much kicking off the road to WrestleMania while at the same time not ignoring the storylines that took them into the Royal Rumble. And I think that was super important to accomplish. Yeah. So let's move to everything else that happened across Raw and SmackDown. We're going to spend a decent amount of time right now on damage control. So there was a women's tag team championship match on SmackDown. Caden Carter and Katana Chance against the Kabuki Warriors. The Casey's dominated early with Katana hitting corkscrew plancha. Caden doing a crossbody outside, plus her dropkick splash and springboard leg drop. Carter countered the insane elbow with double boots. I actually can't remember seeing that countered before. Caden hit a twisting face buster, and they combined for the keg stand for a broken fall. The champions then set up for the after party, but Katana had to audible into a crossbody on Kyrie Sane. Chance took an inverted Alabama slam into the side of the announce table. That cleared the way for the Warriors to hit an assisted elevated insane elbow for the title change in nine minutes. Massive pyro celebration on top of it, though Bailey was left hanging during the entire thing while the other four women cheered on with each other. I loved the new finisher from the Kabuki Warriors or the assisted finisher from the Kabuki Warriors. The crowd was fully invested into this match. There was actually a huge pop for the heels winning the titles. Let me get the negatives out of the way because you probably already know what they are. First, I'm not a fan of a title change in a nine minute match, especially one with a commercial break. Even if it was high octane and well wrestled, which this was, that's just way too short. It should have had more time on screen to build to that crescendo moment which could only have helped both teams. Second, the KC's dropping the titles after 39 days. Technically, it's the second longest reign of the last 11 months with these titles. But for a, te- <laughs> but for a team that many, <clears throat> including yours truly, have been wanting to get put over for years now, getting just over a month with the titles, it's frustrating. Clearly, they were transitional champions as we anticipated once the match was made. And given they had random title defenses, such as against Unholy Union two weeks ago, despite the fact that they had no reason to challenge for the titles. But there are positives. The Warriors sold their asses off for the KCs over the vast majority of this match. The faces probably got their best reception on the main roster here. This was easily the best and most invested that Kyrie has been since returning. She went back to her normal self. And while the title change was quick, look, it's WrestleMania season. And it makes far more sense for the Warriors to be strapped up, likely going against a powerhouse babyface duo in a few months, than it did the KC's taking the title into the biggest show of the year. There was also an extended storytelling element with all of Damage Control celebrating and not including Bailey. All in all, this was well done. I'm at 3.75 stars B+, and this was good. Yeah, really good match from two teams you know were going to be great. Um, you know, you didn't expect the KC's to have the title for so long. Give them a name. I, we say this every week. I, I just, know. Like, I'm getting to the point where I'm getting confused which one is which because they... <laughs> oh, they announce them both their names all the time. By the way, their it's... finisher name is the after party. That's a good team name. Just call them the team name. Call them that and then give them a different finisher name. That's what I would do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just I, it, the titles certainly elevated them. We definitely feel like they're a legit tag team and will continue to be moving forward. So that was all in all a success. Yeah. The Kabuki Warriors are the longest reigning were the longest reigning tag team like of all time. I think they said it, it made sense for them yes. to win. They're great. Great to have them back. It's my favorite part of new damage control. Hmm. Their theme is incredible. I'm yep. so glad they brought that back. Uh, all in all, really good stuff. And it uh, doesn't seem like the Casey's are going away either. Yeah. And that's really important. 
Uh, the Kabuki Warriors fought Tegan Knox and Natalia in a non-title match on Raw. This had no build coming in, and the crowd reacted accordingly, not giving a shit or making even a sound during it. Natty went on a huge run against Asuka with Kyrie taking an hour to save Asuka from a sharpshooter. Rather than tag Natty, Tegan went after Kyrie, who took her out with the Warriors hitting the assisted elevated insane elbow for the win. Now, this got nine minutes, including a commercial. The work was solid, but as I said, there was no reason for the match. And even though the fans should be excited to have Asuka and Kyrie in the ring, like literally just by virtue of them being out there, the crowd was dead silent. And on top of that, I mentioned this earlier, Tegan and Natty tried to eliminate each other during the Royal Rumble, but there was no follow-up. Maybe there should have been like a 10 or 15 second segment. Hey, I'm sorry about that. And I know it's, you know, person for a person here in the match, woman for woman. And I just thought it was an opportunity. Natty, no problem. I've done it before. Let's just win this match tonight. Something as simple as that was needed. They didn't do it. I'm giving this a bad. Yeah, it's a bad for, for, for I think the lack of rumble explanation is a big reason for it. Like not only are they getting a, a match against the tag team champs, we get no follow up to their potential breakup mm-hmm. last night. I just was stunned that they didn't. I think the crowd was waiting for that too. Like even if it's just sorry about that, let's get back on the same page. And then in the match, maybe they disagree with something. And then it leads to the, we got no, there was no story to this bad. Yeah. Caden and Katana announced backstage they will meet with Pierce. This again. Hey. Caden and Katana announced backstage that they met with Pierce and got a title rematch next week on Raw. They promised the title reign would be short with the straps returning to their waist quickly. No grade here. Actually wish they weren't running it back because clearly the Warriors are just going to win again. I just hope the match is good. So I just wanted to mention that. Uh, Bailey led a damage control segment following the Warriors match against Natty and Tegan. Wearing a faux fur, she gloated about the success of their faction, saying she wasn't even on the Royal Rumble poster, but came out on top of the most stacked women's roster in history. Bailey also boasted about beating Rhea Ripley's record and seemed about to make her challenge. When Ripley interrupted, talking a bunch of shit, Nia Jax suddenly leveled her from behind with them fighting into the ring as Damage Control all stood in one corner reacting to it. Nia hit three leg drops and Annihilator to absolutely destroy Rhea. Then she turned to stare down Bailey as Damage Control all dipped out of the ring. Jax stole the mic, saying Ripley isn't about to make WrestleMania. Bailey like cowered in the corner, saying that she would make her announcement on SmackDown instead. Uh, a camera cut to EO Sky, and that showed her confused because obviously the expectation was that Bailey would challenge Ripley on that show. Now the crowd kind of died for this as Ripley got like murdered, which was a little bit surprising because she's a fan favorite. Jax wrecked her and Nia got huge heel heat at the Royal Rumble. So there should have been a chorus of boos here. But despite what they thought, this hit for me. It accomplished the goal of Bailey putting off her decision to create tension within the group. And it set up the expected feature match for Ripley at Elimination Chamber in Australia. It was good enough. Yeah, it, it was good. I do think it was tough for the crowd at the beginning because Bailey wins and comes out and she's just doing heel promo stuff with damage control, which makes sense because she is a heel. And right. Everything. She's I still think, a heel. I just think after. Yeah, it's just after the way the rumble ended, everybody was like, we want to cheer Bailey. We want to cheer Bailey. Oh, she's kind of being a, a, a heel to us for this kind of stuff. So kind of just let me cut you changes off. Changes the feeling. Yeah, let me cut you off because Shane Howell at Shane O'Mac 713, he wrote in something about this that kind of leads into what you're talking about. He said, I want to see a redemptive moment for Bailey before she's cemented as a face. Right now, the story seems to be that she'll be a face because the rest of her heel group is shutting her out. Other heels being mean doesn't automatically make you a face. There's no redemption in that. Yep. Need her to have a definitive face turn like Sami Zayn did. 
He's completely right. Now, maybe they're going to do segments mm -hmm. with damage control, trying to push her towards Ripley, both champions and Bailey in the ring. And Bailey turns around and changes her mind, stands up for herself. Bailey is clearly gaining momentum from the audience, like you said, but they also, like you said, they need to tell the story. Yes, we that's why we thought she might get kicked out of judge uh, out of damage control before winning the rumble. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the story. So they've kind of got to do that now without making it too obvious and a real reason like damage control theoretically could kick out Bailey, but they don't want to do it in a way that makes her challenge EO mm -hmm. like just by being stupid. So that's what I'm kind of curious how they balance that because they've yet to really have much of a reason for Bailey to leave the group or kicked out of the group. It hasn't happened yet. And if you do it post challenging, that might be the only way to kind of do it. They turn on her because of that. And then they start beating her down, beating her down. Uh, and that's her face turn after she's already declared. So that, that might be the way they end up kind of having to do it. The Nia Rhea stuff sets up what we said, mm -hmm. what I've said since day one, which is all right, Nia gets a shot against Rhea. I didn't like that. They weren't saying that leading up to the rumble. Nia Jax can enter the rumble and everything, but she should say, look, I beat Becky Lynch. I'm first in line for Rhea Ripley's title. And now we're going to kind of get there. Although she didn't say that here either. She just kind of said, basically like I'm coming for Rhea. I wanted her to lean into, I beat Becky Lynch. I deserve this spot because mm -hmm. it's true. And it, and it adds to uh, Nia's, you know, the, the fearsome feeling you have around her because she did, she, destroyed Becky Lynch in that yeah. match. So we, we need we need to remind people of that as to why she's a worthy challenger and not just because she beat up Rhea from behind. Yeah, uh, they're building to that. It's going to be perfect. They're having Becky do a fight from under storyline. We'll talk about that briefly in a moment. And yeah, I think the whole thing just works. It almost seems to me like Bailey needs a friend like Naomi, who's coming in with a fresh perspective, right? Joins SmackDown maybe on Friday, takes Bailey aside like, hey, do you realize that your friends aren't your friends, right? They're not cheering for you. They're not letting you cheer with them. They're doing things behind your back. Like I've, I've been watching the show for weeks now, and you know these people are not your friend. And then Bailey like comes to the realization of it and stands up for herself, or or does things to see how they will react to them, notices how they will react, and then ultimately chooses EO. There's so many different ways they can do it, but they they need to tell that story, and hopefully that continues Friday on SmackDown. Uh, Judgment Day commiserated backstage at Raw, agreeing that they as a faction are completely done with distractions. Ripley laughed, assuming Bailey would not be stupid enough to challenge her, while Damian Priest and Finn Balor were focused on showing how vicious they can be while defending their tag team championship. DIY then cut a walk and talk promo, pumping themselves up and explaining their shared history dating back to NXT. This was just really strong stage setting from both sides. The title match felt like it mattered immensely, Despite the build to it being relatively mediocre coming into the show, it was just real good stuff both ways to set the stage for Ripley and set the stage for Judgment Day and DIY, all three of them, later in the show. So then we got to the Tag Team Championship, Judgment Day defending against DIY. The faces had total fan support from the jump, getting a ton of offense, including plenty of tandem moves like a flip over Bulldog. The heels were cocky, ready to take DIY out. When Tommaso Ciampa countered Priest, Johnny Gargano hit him with one final beat and Champa nailed Balor with an avalanche air raid crash for a false finish. They followed with meat in the middle, but Priest saved, pulling Balor under the bottom rope. Balor hit Sling Blade, but missed coup de gras. Gargano countered into Gargano escape. Champa caught Priest in the Sicilian stretch, but Priest powered out, dropping Champa on Gargano. Priest was going to hit Razor's Edge on Champa into the announce table, but he escaped, 
only for Gargano to take a flatliner into it. Judgment Day then combined for a razor's edge and coup de gras on Champa for the one, two, three to retain the titles. This was an excellent match, a straight up banger at four stars, a minus. I'm realizing I've said banger twice already on the show, not use the sound. There you go. It was too early to strap up DIY, even though I thought they might. The response from the fans, though, should tell creative to stick with them and build to that eventually. Judgment Day remarked in their earlier segment that teams have hesitated challenging them. So hopefully there's a plan coming out of this with challenges aplenty and the titles being separated because that badly needs to happen. This victory, though, it did reestablish them as strong champions. That was badly needed. So Judgment Day got over, DIY got over, and that's exactly what you want from a match like this. To, to DIY getting over, it goes back to what we just talked about in that you cut a promo before your match. It's got a lot of energy. People get into it. Then you come out to wrestle and people are with you. Like it, it all comes together. You're not just going to get over with your wrestling. It's got to be everything put together. So that all worked out well. This was a banger of a match, like you said. Only criticism is not even of the match, but when Damian Priest pulls out, uh, pulls somebody out after the meet in the middle, camera angle was at the hard cam and it totally ruined it. Like mm. you could just see mm. Priest right there to pull it up. It wasn't, they didn't have the camera angle right on that. Uh, so you just, you knew that was going to be pulled out. But I did think as it was going on, like, hey, maybe DIY win the titles here and right. Judgment Day moves on to something else because the promo at the beginning was about like, all right, we're focused. We're kind of moving forward here. And I thought, all right, now we're going to get into the Judgment Day stuff we need to get into. One of the things they need to do is lose the titles. Mm -hmm. So I did think for a minute it was going to happen. Awesome stuff. Terrific, terrific match. And it's a good from you, I assume, because it was a good for me. I didn't say it myself. So we'll just do the official grades right there. I will do it on your behalf. I'm just going to do also a little Barry Horowitz. I told you DIY was happening, and I told you they would get over. Both things are happening, so. Little pat on the back for the Silver King. There, uh, there. Uh, yeah. Judgment Day Sands Ripley hit the ring immediately after this match. Priest said fans have seen R Truth changing them as a group, so he welcomed Truth to the ring for an apology. Priest gave Truth a mic to say, All rise for the Judgment Day. Priest was going to apologize for the Rumble elimination, but Truth made a bunch of jokes. Truth said Priest is an older brother. Balor is the unpredictable but loved weird uncle. Tom and Nick, what can you say about them? And JD is the stepbrother no one admits his family. Priest said Judgment Day is a family, but Truth just isn't part of it. But because he likes him, he's not going to be the one to do this. That, of course, being an attack. JD McDonough beat the shit out of him. With The Miz trying but failing to make a save, he got absolutely mauled and frog splashed by Dominic Mysterio. I always appreciate like an ask and you shall receive segment, at least when it comes to us on this podcast. The last two weeks we've been suggesting WWE must definitively end the R-Truth comedy stuff as part of Judgment Day. And they had to do it either in the Royal Rumble or immediately out of the Royal Rumble. Well, we got the priest elimination of truth and then we got this. I suppose technically they're still involved, but the point was for Judgment Day to get out of the comedy portion of it. Seems to be mission accomplished, good segment and provisional good for the booking. It was good, but it did the same problem that all of these other ones have done and that it was barely a beatdown. Like it lasted. Oh, it I don't so know. I thought he got short. his ass kicked. He at the very beginning he did, but Miz comes in very quickly, and then they're doing stuff to Miz, and then they like drag our truth over, and then it's over. I was like, man, like at the beginning, I loved it. I, I, I'm not I'm not gonna be the one to do this. They start doing it. I kind of wish they had kept the dark lights on. I think it just looked better as opposed to bringing all the lights back. But 
Miz came out quickly and then they get beat down and like and then they just stand over him. Like I wanted to be like a Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens type of thing where they just absolutely beat the crap out of him. And they they didn't do it. They did end it. They did make it definitive. They did make it clear that we're done with you, so to speak. And you have a reason to boo the heels like they they did it. But man, it just it felt like it wrapped up so quickly. I was waiting for it to be like almost like uncomfortable and it didn't get to that point. That's what happened a couple like the first time they did this, they start beating up truth. Miz comes out and then they stand tall and that's it. And I don't know. It it, it was good. It was they did it, but it just it went quick. And I thought we were gonna get a little bit more. Interesting. I was pretty content with it. I mean, I think we're just gonna get more in future weeks, but they got the beat down and it ended. And then now now our truth is fully out of the group. He and Miz will become awesome truth as a tag team. Really, my biggest concern is them possibly winning the titles. Like, look, as I've said before, I don't see Priest actually cashing in Money in the Bank successfully or unsuccessfully until those titles are dropped. They're almost like an albatross preventing it from happening. Yep. But given it's WrestleMania season, I'm not sure what else would be on the plate for Priest and Balor if not defending those titles on the big show. I don't think losing them to awesome truth as much as fans might like that is the right move. I actually think the opposite. I think them losing the titles to Awesome Truth and Awesome Truth just having a very short reign, transitional champs, whatever, actually makes sense. But again, it would have, I think, mattered more if the beatdown had been better. Because when Sammy gets destroyed at that Royal Rumble, when he gets kicked out of the bloodline, him and Kevin Owens together, like, you know, you know what's coming. They're going to be attacked. Uh, yeah, but you They're can't compare our truth and judgment day to Sami Zayn and, that, and the blood. That's what I'm saying, though. They they, they didn't get it. To but it that wasn't that level. important or well, long term or anything. I mean, it's more. It was much just, more it comedy. Was inconsistent. Too. They like kicked him out of the group like four times. I, I mean, that that's just that's why I just wanted there to be a definitive, impactful, emotional moment that we never got. Because, yes, these tag team titles have been an albatross around them. It's ridiculous ridiculous that we still have one set of tag team belts and I, I assume you know now is not the time to change that you know breaking the belts up and whatever but tag team division needs more our truth and Miz winning the belts off would be the great comeuppance but again it wasn't enough of a beatdown that maybe they don't need a comeuppance i don't know i think they've treated truth pretty crappily i i, I don't know i i, th I think it's I just disagree. I guess is the best way to put it. We, we can move on. We'll talk more about it next week. We'll see what happens next week. Maybe we'll feel differently, uh, you know, seven days from now. Uh, Becky Lynch backstage said she let herself and a lot of people down at the Royal Rumble. Now she will train harder, think smarter and fight dirtier until she gets back on top and takes the women's title back into the main event like it deserves. Did I hear main event? This is the main event. Let's do it. Short, sweet and good. And it, it, it that call out is why we both 100% agree it will be Becky Rhea main event night one, even though they haven't even gotten to Becky Rhea yet. That's going to be the plan. Yep. Uh, the Intercontinental Championship was defended. Gunther defending against Kofi Kingston. Backstage before the match, Kofi cut a super passionate promo saying New Day is about fun, but it's also about winning championships. He was about to win his fifth Intercontinental title. Gunther praised Kingston for challenging him, promising Kofi will remember their match forever while Gunther and everyone else will forget about him. Both promos hit. But I don't like how it gets ignored that Kofi is a former WWE champion sometimes. Like, yeah, they, they, okay, he's a four-time Intercontinental champion and WWE champion. Like, 
Yeah. Why not mention that? Kingston uh, went on short runs in the match that Gunther quickly ended with his strength. Gunther caught a tope suicida and literally just threw Kofi backwards with his shoulders drilling the ring apron. Kingston put Gunther into the ring post with a hurricanrana and hit two topes with Gunther running back inside to prevent a third, only to eat trouble in paradise and roll outside the ring before Kofi could cover. Kingston draped Gunther over the steel steps and drilled him off the barricade, hitting an avalanche boom drop for a false finish. For some reason, Michael Cole didn't know either of Kofi's moves, the names for them, even though he's called his matches for like 20 years. Gunther hit a massive lariat with Kofi countering a second one into an SOS, but Gunther came back with a lariat, shotgun dropkick, and powerbomb stack for the win. Imperium laid out both members of New Day after the bell. See, I thought that attack was weaker than the one that Truth got from the Judgment Day. Other than Kofi's shorts looking like boxers being real off-putting for me, this was excellent. They worked exceptionally well together as two guys who have never really gone at it. And while both are obviously talented, this somehow exceeded my expectations of what I thought we were getting from this match. Gunther came out of it looking strong. Kofi was not hurt one bit in defeat. Plus, the tag team storyline continued as expected. Four stars, A- minus again, and also good. Yep, this was good. I liked, again, I liked at the beginning that they were like, hey, remember, the New Day is about winning championships. We like, it was good to just, it's always good to have wrestlers remind you that that's why they do this and that's what matters. But yeah, it was weird they didn't mention Kofi being a former world champion. Good match, expect a result. Kofi and shorts was kind of weird. Uh, like, good. Uh, Jay Uso fought Bronson Reed. Bronson kept his theme, but got an updated Godzilla style entrance with him crushing a city. There's also an emphasis on the big nickname. Jay dodged Reed into the ring post outside and got most of the offense before dodging Tsunami late. He came back with a super kick, spear, and Uso splash with Yeet defeating Meat. The crowd was kind of dead. It was a real hot opening 75 minutes. They probably needed to cool down a little bit. They came alive for the victory, though. It was good. I wish Bronson got more offense and Jay had to fight from under. Also, I like the new presentation for Reed, and I think the entrance theme is underrated. His is. I'm confused as to what's happening with Jay at WrestleMania. The match against Jimmy obviously makes the most sense, but they probably have to pull the trigger at that for 40. You really can't extend that out another year. That said, they also seem to be building Jay up in a major way for a title match, and Gunther would make sense in that regard, especially given Jay has been helping New Day, which is currently feuding with Imperium. My best case scenario is Jay, Jimmy, and Big E returning to fight Gunther. Obviously, the latter part of that um, is difficult because of the injury situation, but I'm going to keep booking the damn territory with Big E, and eventually, I will speak his return into existence. Well, that was the thing I forgot to mention is that at the end of the Kofi Gunther thing. Like, they're getting beat down three on two, and like, it's almost... They've almost perfectly set it up. For, yeah. Wait a minute. We have a third person. It's right. Big e. Bring like, them out. It, it it does feel like it's set up there for that. Um, Bronson Reed. I like the Godzilla thing. Like that was kind of cool. Um, I was kind of surprised that Jay just won though. But Jay is extremely over, as was evident by the crowd. Pat McAfee's into that as well. So uh, Jay continues to be really good. He just kind of doesn't have anything to do right now. Yeah. I'm curious where that goes for WrestleMania. There was a highlight package for Braun Breaker with no further explanation. Later, Andrade got his own package before being signed by Adam Pearce to Raw before he could even meet with Nick Aldis, who walked into the office and shook his hand sarcastically, congratulating him. Andrade shot back, asking Aldis, say hi to Zelina Vega for me, with a wink. So maybe she will defect from LWO <laughs> and join him back on Monday nights. That would be great. Then the GMs got contentious with each other before Breaker called Aldis's phone, potentially indicating he might go to SmackDown. 
Fair to presume he's getting a call up after WrestleMania at the latest, hopefully after a short-term tag team title run with Baron Corbin. All this was exactly what it needed to be. They didn't overlook some key moments from the Royal Rumble. They advanced stories for both superstars while continuing the angst between the general managers. Easy good. Yep, it was good. I, I like seeing the general manager back and forth. And I did have a question coming out of the Rumble is what happens to these people? Are they Do they draft them? Do they sign them? I like the idea that they kind of have to make their pitch. Yeah, I like free agents. I like it. Yeah, it's smart. Uh, Carlito fought Santos Escobar on SmackDown. Carlito hit a nice snap neckbreaker and was fully up on Santos when Legado del Fantasma and LWO started battling at ringside. Cruz del Toro hit a great flying somersault as Zelina Vega jumped on the ring apron. Suddenly out of nowhere, Electro Lopez, La Madrina, rejoined Legado, knocking Vega's legs out from underneath her. Escobar took advantage of the distraction with a flip over fold up cover for the win. Easy, good across the board here. Electra getting back with Santos and Legato, that's huge. She was not ready when Legato first got called up, but as we saw last Tuesday on NXT, she's completely turned a corner, at least as a promo. Zelina fits with LWO, Electra fits with Legato. I could see them doing a short-term program, and then Zelina moving over to Raw with Andrade. Uh, it makes Legato a real faction as well. That's always important, seeing the four of them together. It's really tough to argue that they've not upgraded from their successful run in NXT. Look, Cruz del Toro, Joaquin Wild, great, right? No hate. Umberto, Angel, and then Electro Lopez coming back, pretty freaking awesome. Uh, they're so much cooler even now than they were in uh, NXT. And Legado del Fantasma is also so much cooler now than, uh, I almost called him NWO, than LWO is. Yeah, I mean, LWO needs Rey Mysterio back. That's kind of the whole thing. But good for Electra, Electra Lopez, man. When, when when Legato came up without her, uh, that was just unfortunate. And you always kind of wonder what happens to people in those situations. She's continued to do a really good job, and now she's back here. And and also credit to Zelina Vega, because we weren't sure about that at the time either. It was like, eh, you know, Electra was so great with them. Zelina was great with them as well. She's great with LWO. She had a really good showing in the... Uh, rumble as well. She did. So just yeah. more, more people around this is is great. Uh, uh, an Electra Lopez, Selena Vega feud, promo match, whatever, like looking forward to that. So these factions are kind of really loading up and it's like all the Hispanic people together. But uh, I'm interested. Like I, I'm interested. It's, it's, it's good. We just need Rey Mysterio to get back now. That's why I'm so glad that Andrade's on Raw and getting Zelina on there too would be great. I know LWO, it'd be nice to have the woman now that Electra uh, is with Legato, but get Andrade and Zelina together. It's perfect. It was I, perfect yeah. in NXT. It was perfect on the main roster. Just get it back together. I, I think Zelina Andrade going together is more for him than for her. It is. I've said before, it is. I, I'm not, I'm kind of eh about him, but she's great. But the thing is, she gets the TV time. Right. So unlike, for example, Karrion Cross and Scarlet, Scarlet stands there for most of it. Right. She doesn't really mm -hmm. do much. Zelina directs the segments when she's there with Andrade. She is almost the presence and he's just the guy who goes out and wrestles. Right. And they just work. They play off each other so perfectly well. Now that we know she also wrestles and like can be a legitimate wrestler, hope and, and I trust that it will happen with, you know, Paul Levesque having the book. Not only will she be the mouthpiece for Andrade potentially, but they could also be partners to a degree where she gets to wrestle and he supports her. There's just so many different ways they can do it. 
Uh, I'm excited. I hope it actually happens and it wasn't just a tease, but I don't think they're mentioning Zelina in that segment on Monday night if they're not bringing her back to work with Andrade. It just makes all the sense in the world. Uh, Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits hit the ring for a face-to-face with Last Testament. They were in their black and gold gear with Lashley getting huge pops for them. The heels got an eye-catching entrance filled with smoke, but only Scarlet entered the ring with the Profits pointing out it is supposed to be a face-to-face, calling them scared. Karrion Cross got major heat, telling the crowd to shut up during what chance? Those only got louder. Cross dared them to meet on the ramp instead of in the ring. So the Prophets went for the bait, only for Scarlet to jump on Lashley and rake his eyes. That gave Cross an opening to put Lashley into the post as AOP straight up murked the Prophets. Look, we've had our frustrations with the faces not having a name. I continue to be pleasantly surprised with Last Testament. This was yet another segment between the sides that hit for me. Lashley and the Prophets make much more sense as faces and Last Testament comes across as a super badass group, even if they're never going to be much more than a mid-card stable. Consider how successful they have already been getting heat off the jump. Now, it's time to fight. It's time for the faces to get a name, enough delaying, but this was good on Friday. It was good. By the way, it's Final Testament. So, okay. So I wrote- I keep mixing this up too. I wrote Final Testament in half of the spots and Last Testament in the others. And I was like, I think it's Last (laughs) Testament. So I kept the, the saying way I'm gonna it's re- Final Testament. Yeah. Okay, fine. The way I'm going to remember is because of the shirt that they the were wearing. The logo has an F which was like, with the cross. Yeah. It's, yeah, it was like a cross that was an F. That's how I'm going to remember. Okay. It, 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 which is which I actually kind of like the logo too. So. And by the way, let uh, me be clear. Yeah. Final Testament is a better name than Last Testament. So I'm glad it's that and I'm glad I said it wrong. Yes, this was good. Uh, I liked it. I just think, um, I think we need the Prophets and Bobby Lashley to just kind of be more face e like they're still about dressing nice and all these type of things which was kind of like the heel-ish version of them and lashley like we need the prophets being the old prophets again and ha- instead of them being like bobby lashley have bobby lashley be more like them to really contrast them with the big strong stern final testament bad guys but this was good it's going in a good direction just as we try to figure out what lashley and prophets are I think we kind of just need some personality changes and more outgoing uh, to kind of contrast with them. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Carmelo Hayes fought Austin Theory. Mello hit, I guess you would call it a leaping inverted DDT and around the world. The crowd really popped for it. Theory came back with a taxi, a hooking, flipping flatliner for a near fall. It was the first time he's used that move in WWE at any level that I can at least remember. Finisher quality, for sure. Grayson Waller distracted on the ring apron, leading to Theory reversing a pinning combination and grabbing the tights deep for the 1-2-3. The heels attacked immediately, and Trick Williams came out of nowhere to make the save with the crowd screaming his entrance. Mello went to dap him up, but Trick declined, saying he just wasn't uh, saving him, but he was saving their team for the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic semifinal on Tuesday night. I wish this had a bit more time because they were running super hot in the match and could have finished off something extremely special, really good wrestling and pacing and all that. It was almost as if they were purposefully allowed to show out to make up for the scary botch a couple weeks ago. The post-match was super intriguing. I was legitimately shocked to see that many people chanting for Trick, and it made for a hot moment that could really get some eyeballs on NXT, which they did promote after the match. So I want more Trick on the main roster. I mean, I want more Trick everywhere. Um, But, you know, the ratings for... Let's not get it twisted. SmackDown on Friday got 2.4 million people watching it, okay? And, you know, NXT gets anywhere between 650 and on good week, 750,000 viewers. That is a drastic 
difference. For the main roster audience at that show to no trick that much, just a shocker to me. This was an easy good. I'm glad Mello and Theory got their match out of the way. And it kind of seems to me like Mello is going to be getting that call up in a more permanent way coming out of WrestleMania. My take for a while has been that Trick Williams is actually more over than Carmelo Hayes. And I'm kind of feeling that here too, but it was great to see him. People, I was surprised how many people knew the whoop that trick stuff too. Um, And good match. Glad they got the time. It was good. All right. Good. And lastly, Shayna Baszler and Zoe Stark fought Piper Niven and Chelsea Green. This was a three-minute match that ended with Green, to her credit, taking a perfect Z360, probably the best the move has been delivered, and sold on the main roster. Hour one of Raw was commercial-free. I get that Chelsea really should not be competitive against badasses like Shayna and Zoe, but they really can't get six minutes out of this during, let me repeat, a commercial-free hour of the show, especially when they're supposedly building to become number one contenders, Shayna and Zoe, that's an automatic bad. You don't have a choice. It was good for what we got. Sure. Like, I, I would have loved to see more, and I'm glad we're doing Chelsea and Piper continuing that. They really shined in the Women's Rumble. Zoe and and Shayna are just, they're just kind of there. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really know where they're going, what they're doing. I thought this was, I'm going to give this a good, Okay, actually. I mean, like, obviously, obviously I would have liked more, but from what we got, I thought it really worked. That's your prerogative. I just cannot get over the three-minute return of the women, like the return to three-minute women's matches. They they got away from it, then they go back to it, then they go away from it. It's just like six minutes, you know, seven minutes, eight minutes. Just do that. It's, it, it's okay if every once in a while there's a short match because there's sometimes short men's matches as well. But the consistency and the percentage of women's matches being short, especially in the tag team division. It's just ridiculous. So they didn't really do a lot for the women on this show on Raw Monday night. That was frustrating. Uh, Maybe it was just because there was so much they needed to do because of CM Punk and Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes and all that. So I'll Mm -hmm. give them a one-week reprieve, but uh, coming on Raw next week, I want to see much more attention on the women's division and certainly more time for their matches. Now, that was the good, the bad, and the ugly. Normally at this part of the show, we would do the last word, but this has been an extremely long episode. We've done like three of these in a row. It's just been nonstop the first month of 2024. So the last word will return next week. And we have an absolute ton still to come this week on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. On Thursday, we will have your NXT Vengeance Day Ultimate Preview, along with a full recap of AEW. And then Sunday, as soon as NXT Vengeance Day goes off the air, we will have your NXT Vengeance Day instant analysis podcast. So two more shows coming for you this week. Next week here at Getting Over, we will not only have your WWE episode on Tuesday, same bat time, same bat channel. There will be a special interview episode coming out of the Royal Rumble. The Silver King got the opportunity to speak one-on-one with Gunther, Bronson Reed, Chad Gable, and many others. And we're going to wrap that up. We were going to do a special show this week but I'm absolutely exhausted just being candid with all of you. So we're going to save that to next week. So a three episode week this week, a three episode week next week coming out of a four episode week as we covered the Royal Rumble. I appreciate all of you joining us as always on the way out. A couple quick reminders. First, that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about 
Defy. So please leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. As you heard earlier, if you leave a five-star written review on Apple, we will read it live right here on the show. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for everything I mentioned earlier. And also, so you can send in tweets and DMs, questions and comments that we will read on the show. And please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well. $5 a month, 50 for the entire year. You can become an official Getting Overhead. You can do it by visiting buymeacoffee.com slash getting over and sign up. Tons of bonuses, tons of extras, all at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. And don't forget, I would be remiss if I did not mention one last time to vote for Getting Over as best wrestling podcast in the 2023 Sports Podcast Awards. That ballot is pinned to the top of our Twitter profile at Getting Overcast. All right, another loaded episode in the books. I appreciate vintage Chris Vanini being along for the ride back in the co-host chair for doing a fantastic job in the hosting chair for that Royal Rumble instant analysis. And I thank all of you for lending us your ear holes for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. For Vintage, this is the Silver King signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.